This Week on Geek Explained, with the hype surrounding Matt Reeves' The Batman at an all-time high, we're taking a look back at the storied history of Batman in film with special guest Matt Draper. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about Batman in film. There is a ton of hype going on right now with the Robert Pattinson Batman film that's going to be dropping in 2021. We've heard casting announcements we've seen set leaks we got this amazing look at this bat suit which might not be the final bat suit but is definitely a bat suit that robert pattinson will be wearing so we're going to be taking a look back throughout the entire history of batman when it comes to the silver screen and to do that i've got a little help this week uh you know him as one of the best comic book youtubers ever putting out uh video essays, analysis on different comic books and films. It is going to be Matt Draper. He's joining us for an awesome, awesome discussion about all things Batman film. Uh, We've also got this week's Comics Countdown, of course, as well as the final edition of our Doctor Who Weekly Review. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. guys and dolls so we've got some news for you this week not a lot of news um mostly film news i was actually surprised but uh we have our four categories film tv comics and miscellaneous no miscellaneous news why is that word so hard for me today uh, miscellaneous news this week but uh with all the video game stuff that's going to be coming out pretty soon, I am looking forward to getting into some of that. In comic book news, uh, Sean Gordon Murphy, the uh, prolific writer and artist working on the Batman White Knight series, as well as its sequel, Batman Curse of the White Knight, has announced that DC is looking to kind of spin him into his own universe. We do know that uh, White Knight is part of the Black Label line, but it also kind of seems like DC is looking into making the White Knight universe kind of its own thing. Uh, Sean Gordon Murphy was answering a question, I believe, on Twitter about possibly wanting to explore other characters in the universe, and he announced, uh, which I thought was really cool, that um, miniseries, little miniseries between the big uh, chapters, so between uh, Batman White Knight, Batman Curse of the White Knight, and Batman um, whatever White Knight 3 is going to be, there will be little miniseries that he will kind of uh, outline and then give to a different creative team about different characters like Nightwing, Harley Quinn, Batgirl, which I think is awesome. You're going to get all of these uh, stories about these characters, what the world uh, has 
changed about them to fit them into this narrative. One of the things that I'm really excited about that they hope that they touch on is uh, Nightwing being the second Robin and the fact that Jason was the first Robin and then all that Jason Todd stuff happened. I want to dive more into that. So I hope that they are going to be talking about this. Uh, the... Mr. Freeze one shot I thought was one of the coolest things that they could have done uh, to kind of add to the lore of the White Knight universe. So I'm all for it. I'm all for more White Knight stuff. Give it to me. I will absolutely read it. Going into uh, TV news. It has been announced that uh, Bradley Walsh and Tosin Cole, who play Graham and Ryan respectively on uh, the past two seasons of Doctor Who, will be leaving the show following the Christmas special at the end of this year. We're going to be talking about all of that when it comes to the weekly review, but um, this is kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal because uh, the two of them have really kind of been the uh, emotional through line and the narrative through line throughout the last two seasons. Their, um, their relationship as it was kind of developing last season and how it was kind of um, really affecting them and their views of mortality in this season, I thought, has been really, really good. I have been saying from day one that Graham should have been, if they had to go down to one companion Graham should have been the one companion this entire time but it looks like it is going to be Yaz which I'm totally okay with as well if they decide to go that route but yeah so they're going to be leaving apparently the Christmas special is already filmed um, but it hasn't been revealed and I guess like the events inside of the Christmas special have been kept really close to the vest the only thing that we know is that just like for the uh, New Year's special uh, last year that the Doctor will be going up against the Daleks. So, again, we'll be talking more about that in our weekly review segment, but I definitely wanted to talk about that here. And now we come to our film news. We've got five pieces of film news that I'm pretty excited to talk about here. Uh, first off, I'll start off with a rumor. There's a rumor going on right now. I've done my research. I haven't found a single verifiable source, but apparently the rumor is going out around that uh, Wolverine is going to be appearing in Captain Marvel 2 and the rumored actor that they are looking to portray him is Henry Cavill. I don't know how I feel about that. I still think that um, that Wolverine should be more comics accurate when he comes to the MCU. So we're talking short, we're talking hairy, we're talking ugly. Um, and while uh, Henry Cavill is absolutely one of those things. He is not all three, and I don't know how we feel about it, um, especially with him being so public about like one foot still being in the uh, Fortress of Solitude, as it as it were, with him possibly still reprising as Superman someday. Um, but I think it's it would be a good choice when it comes to like characterization and you know that he's a big comic book fan and a big old nerd so i would be behind that however i do think that um especially since this wolverine is going to be coming off the heels of hugh jackman's that they should be looking for an actor that's a little bit less recognizable that's just my two cents uh next we have the confirmation that reuben fleischer who has directed zombie land has directed the first venom will be picking up directing duties for uncharted for now and i say that because reuben fleischer is now the fourth or fifth director to uh take a seat in the director's chair as you can hear our uh, our neighbor's dog is very um has a lot of opinions about Ruben Fleischer and the Uncharted film. 
Um, I still don't know if the Uncharted film is even going to get off the ground, if we're ever going to see the light of day when it comes to that. But if it doesn't, we still have four kick-ass uh, Uncharted games, four and a half technically, if you can, if you count uh, Lost Legacy, which I think you should. Um, but we'll see where exactly this goes. Um, speaking of directing announcements, it has been announced that for Indiana Jones Five, that Steven Spielberg will be officially stepping down from director duties and handing over the reins to James Mangold. I like that personally i like that a lot james mangold is a proven director he knows what he's doing james mangold was the guy who directed logan um he knows all about aging heroes you know going out for one last ride and i think that if indy 5 is going to be that kind of story then james mangold is absolutely the person to um to bring that story to the screen. We also got a trailer. We got two trailers. First off, I'm going to talk about the one I was less excited about, which is the first official trailer for Artemis Fowl. I'm going to let you folks in on something a little bit about me. I loved the Artemis Fowl books growing up. I thought they were super cool. I remember doing book reports on the Artemis Fowl books, and I have such a deep-seated love for that character and that world. And watching this trailer, I was not impressed. Because just like a lot of um, book adaptations that are being adapted into films, they don't know how successful it will be. Um, They're cramming plot points from three books into one film. And that's not how you do it. Um, They're also, the way that they're portraying uh, Artemis really um, is kind of putting him in that hero role, which was a huge... um, was a huge character beat for him in the third book, where he became a hero. He starts off in the first book, I would say arguably the first two books, as a straight-up villain, and that was something that I loved about the first Artemis Fowl book that blew me away, because I'd never seen a book where the main character is the villain. Um, and I just, I don't think that this rang true for me at all when it comes to Artemis Fowl, the spirit of that character, and really how you should be introducing this character. But that's just me. Uh, The other trailer that I was much more excited about was we got the first trailer for Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. This is going to be essentially the DC animated version of uh, Avengers Infinity War, bringing in all of their New 52 style um, characters and teams and films. So we're talking Justice League, we're talking Batman, we're talking Teen Titans, we're talking Justice League Dark. All of those characters character is going to come together and fight off an invasion from Darkseid and the world of Apocalypse. It looks good. Um, there's definitely some interesting moments that I'm not sure what's going on. Like it looks like at one point there's a character who looks suspiciously like bearded Superman, but he's got like green eyes and he has some kind of connection with Damien. I don't know what's going on, but I'm really interested, especially because I think DC animation has still been killing it. Even when it does come to what I would consider their lesser uh, stock, that being like the DC uh, new 52 style films, though Death or Return of Superman is still excellent. Uh, I, I'm i interested, and I'm looking forward to it. Red Sun, I thought, was a home run. Knocked it right out of the park, and I'm hoping that this film does the same. So that does it for the news 
this week. Uh, we're going to be shaking up the order of the segments this week, like I do with every single uh, guest spot on this podcast. And we are going to dive right into the weekly review for the finale of Doctor Who. <laughs> It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are at the end of the road. We are reviewing the season finale of season 12 of Doctor Who, episode 10 entitled The Timeless Children. This is the season finale of uh, season 12. It's going to be followed up. Uh, this Christmas, and we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. But overall, um, this episode was a lot. <laughs> um, the last three episodes kind of being like this three-parter, I thought was a really good way to set up the narrative and stretch out um, the story going into this finale. And yet, at the same time, this finale still crammed so much into it that it, at times it felt really um, jarring. So there's a lot to get into as we go through this, and I'm, I've got my notes here. But first off, before I get into any of this, I just, I gotta talk about Sasha Dewan. Sasha Dewan plays the master to mwah, chef's kiss perfection in this episode. I love his manic energy. I love that we're getting shades of John Sims. I love that we're getting shades of the Machiavellian um schemes of the original appearances of the master delgado and others i love everything about him even down to his uh his wardrobe his costume is amazing and i love that it kind of offsets the doctor's more casual wear with his being very formal and very very 11th doctor and i've loved that they've kind of keyed into making this doctor sasha or this master uh, this Sasha Dewan master very similar and have a lot of parallels to the 11th Doctor, which I think makes him more dangerous. So I loved everything about him. He was so fantastic in this episode, and I just had to give him a quick shout out because he really was the MVP here. Uh, speaking of the master, he and the Doctor, this episode was really kind of focused on them. They head to Gallifrey, which is in ruins after the master raised it to the ground. It's still unclear how exactly he did all this by himself, but... I assume they're probably not ever going to talk about that. Uh, following their kind of uh, back and forth, they go into the Panopticon, which is the uh, which contains the Matrix, which is the sum total of all knowledge in the Time Lord's entire history. Uh, the Master ends up calling the Cybermen to Gallifrey, which um, was just wild to me. Uh, meanwhile, on the Cybership, Yaz, Graham, and the two... I guess I spoiled that. Uh, <laughs> initially the three, but then the two uh, survivors decide to disguise themselves as Cybermen, which I thought was really interesting and innovative, and we've never seen that before. Um, basically, it was Yaz and Graham versus the lone Cyberman, and they were able to successfully dupe him so that they could leave the ship and reunite with Ryan, who was uh, with Kosharmus at the Boundary, and basically Ryan's whole deal this episode was Ryan goes to war. Uh, Ryan, one of the refugees, and Kosharmus are basically doing guerrilla warfare with the three execution squads that come down to 
well execute them and i loved their kind of like um they're kind of thrown together offense ryan th- like chucking this bomb it was really cool and then the fake out where it looked like they were going to be all deleted and then it's revealed that the last group of cybermen is yaz graham and the two refugees thought was really really cool but uh we got to talk about this stuff i have it marked in my uh marked in my notes as into the matrix uh, and every single time they said like they mentioned the matrix i don't know i i just kept thinking of the keanu reeves matrix i don't know why um, but they basically, they go into the Matrix and the Doctor is shown the truth, basically the entire origin of the Time Lords, the fact that they were originally a race called the Shabogans, and their um, one of their chief scientists, Tekteun, built a spaceship and flew away to explore the galaxy, and on her travels she came upon another boundary when she happened upon the Timeless Child. Uh, She basically raised this Timeless Child, found out that the Timeless Child was capable of regeneration. Uh, We find out that the... that Tecteun, I guess, like, did experiments on the Timeless Child and unlocked the ability to do regeneration and then injected it into herself... Uh, who quickly became himself, and then through that and their discovery of time travel, they built the Time Lord Society. Uh, We also got answers on who Brendan was from last episode. Apparently, all the Brendan stuff was a perception filter on the Timeless Child, who is revealed to be the Doctor. Of course, we kind of all saw this coming. The Doctor, I, I think it would have been more interesting for the Master to be the Timeless Child, but uh, the Doctor being the Timeless Child, I think, is interesting. Uh, they make this whole deal about how Brendan was basically this um, this way for the Division, which is this shadowy organization, or I guess was this shadowy organization in Gallifrey's past that openly and liberally like messed with time against the uh the mandates of the time lords basically they used the doctor as their like prime operative and at the end of his service or her service depending on where in the timeline and what regeneration uh that they were on wiped all memories of their previous lives and then I guess, regressed the Doctor somehow back to a child, and that's how we got the William Hartnell Doctor. So we got basically told that the Doctor has so many more lives than we know about that their um, their lives as the Doctor definitely weren't the first uh, and probably won't be the last, but there's a lot. That's a lot to take in and a lot to, I think personally, a lot to... Um, digest i don't know if i like it so much because i feel like that creates a ton of plot holes um if they're able to stick the landing they're able to explain it in the next season then cool but i think that they could have made this whole thing with all this backstory and stuff and made the master the timeless child and it would have been a little bit easier to swallow um I do like the idea of the division, that they're this shadowy organization within the uh, Time Lord's past that wiped all of the Doctor's service for them away. Um, but 
I don't know. Like I said, it's it's a lot. Uh, we also saw that the Master killed the lone Cyberman and takes the Siberium into himself and creates what he calls the Cybermasters, which are Cybermen, but instead of their human components, they are Time Lord components so that they can't die. Anytime a Cyberman is killed, it will just regenerate. So that's terrifying, first of all. Um... And they basically created this thing that just can't die. Um, so I feel like they've kind of written themselves into a corner in that way. But if they're able to stick the landing with that again, I will, um, I'll be okay with it. Uh, what I liked about the Matrix scenes was that uh, it was kind of, um, it was given to us sequentially, which is good. With a lot of information like this and a lot of exposition, it can get a little... Um, confusing and you can get lost in the weeds really easily with that kind of stuff but i'm glad that they took the time to do it sequentially to explain it and draw it all out and it ended with the return of ruth um ruth doctor we don't know exactly which life she was but we do we can kind of assume that she was one of the doctor's lives during their um their service to the division uh, we don't know which regeneration she was on. Uh, it seems like, at least from the way that they explain it, that the Doctor doesn't have to um, die after 12 regenerations. He could just, the Doctor can just live forever and regenerate endlessly. Um, again, that, it just, it causes a lot of plot holes and a lot of, causes a lot of questions that I don't know if they're going to have time to answer all of them within one more season. Um, but the episode ends with Kosharma sacrificing his life and basically blowing up Gallifrey. So Gallifrey's like gone, gone. Um, along with uh, the Master and his Cybermasters, though we can assume that the Master escaped along with a portion of his Cybermasters. And the Doctor kind of retreats. All the companions are sent back to Earth and back to their homes with the refugees who now have to live in present day and the doctor makes her way back to her TARDIS but is then um, imprisoned by the Jadoon which is where we are going to pick up with her with the uh, Christmas special Revolution of the Daleks um, I'm excited that we're finally going to get another Christmas special that's exciting um, but again this episode was a lot I feel like they could have sowed the seeds of this a little better throughout the last two seasons if this was always the goal which I have a feeling it wasn't uh, but I'm interested. I'm interested to see how this is going to shake up the Doctor status quo, how it's going to change her adventures going forward, and what it's going to mean for the future of the character and of the series. Uh, there's been a lot of questions on whether um, with Doctor Who kind of losing uh, viewers and ratings going down, is it going to get canceled again? We don't know. I don't think so. I think it's such a known commodity for the BBC that they're not going to get rid of it no matter how bad it does. But I don't know. We'll have to see. But um, that does wrap up this whole uh, this whole thing. I think that this season overall was a huge step up from last season, though I don't know if it um, if it really kind of reaches the highs that I think Peter Capaldi's doctor got to. Um, I still am rooting for Jodie Whittaker's doctor, uh, the entire TARDIS team, and really um, Chris Chibnall as well, because I like this new take. I like this direction. I like what they're doing. I just want them to not make it easier to understand, but to tell stories that um, 
both bring in new ideas while still honoring the established canon. Because this really threw out a lot of the stuff that we know and love about the Doctor. So I'm not sure the future of Doctor Who is uncertain, but I am glad that we got this season. I'm glad that I got to do the weekly review on this season, but with the end of this season of Doctor Who, that does bring us to what do we do next for the weekly review. I thought about it, I weighed my options, and our next focus on the weekly review is going to be Harley Quinn Season two i loved harley quinn so much that first season that i just i had to i had to make it a focus on the weekly review so that will be our next focus on the weekly review but and i hear you saying this and i hear you typing it as well um that doesn't start until april 3rd which means that we have one two three four full weeks before that season starts so what do we do till then well dear listener we are going to be doing another round of our wild card weekly reviews this is kind of what we did this is the exact same thing really is what we did between the break of uh, crisis on infinite earths where each week i'll be reviewing something different i don't know what i'm going to be reviewing next week but i'm excited to do another set of wild card weekly reviews got a lot of good feedback from those you guys seem to really enjoy them and i'm excited to touch on some stuff that i won't that i might not have been able to talk about all the way through um just because i can really only review one thing each week for the weekly review to stay the segment that it is so i'm excited weekly reviews cut uh, wildcard le- weekly reviews coming for the next four weeks and then we will be picking up with our regular weekly review uh second week of april with harley quinn season two so look forward to all that really excited about it uh tune in next week for this segment for our first wildcard weekly review of this uh i guess batch and for now let's hop on over to this week's comics countdown Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title and creative team, as well as a brief synopsis of each book. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you'd like me to try out for this segment, feel free to request them at Geeksplained pod on twitter and instagram or to geekexplained at gmail.com in email because i'm an old man i still read emails but before we get into this week's books we got to take a look back at last week's books with the geeksplained pick of the week of last week and for me the one that really um stuck out the one that i really enjoyed i I really liked Far Sector. I know, I know, it's still early on in its story, but every single issue, I just, I love it. I really, truly do. Um, the story that they're telling, how uh, how we have this emotionally driven cop in an emotionless city, uh, this idea of the, um, the emotion exploit, the city enduring is such a cool setting. And I love 
Joe Mullane as Green Lantern. I think she's a great lead. I'm hoping that she makes more appearances outside of Far Sector once this is all wrapped up. Uh, maybe in 5G, who knows? But I really am digging this. I'm loving the detective noir storytelling that they're pulling off with this book. And overall, it's just it's something that you should really be picking up. It's so fantastic. So that was the pick of the week of last week, but that's last week. This week, we've got one, two, three, four, eight books to get into, so let's go ahead and dive on in. Starting off with Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme, number four. Written by Mark Wade with art by Kev Walker. This book's just been great. It really has. Um, if you are interested in the Doctor Strange character, there is a double whammy for you this week. But starting off with this one, this book is very centered on Doctor Strange and kind of his new status quo. I've been liking it a lot so far. Um, it feels different from Wade's previous run with uh, Doctor Strange in space. And I like that. I like that this is more magic-based. I like that this is uh, really diving into what makes the character tick. And I'm looking forward to picking this issue up. So let's dive into the synopsis here. The Return of Dr. Druid What has brought Dr. Strange's fellow sorcerer back from the dead, and has he truly renounced all magic as he claims? Or is something more sinister brewing in the halls of the McCarthy Medical Institute? So like I said, I like this. Doctor Strange has been killing it so far, and I'm looking forward to picking up this issue. Next up, we have Spider-Man Noir, number one of five, written by Margaret Stoll, with art by Juan Ferreira. I probably said that wrong, and I apologize. But really excited about this. Um, it's Spider-Man Noir, man. Like, Spider-Man Noir, just the whole Noir Marvel-verse, I think, is rife for um, revisiting. And I'm glad that they're finally doing that. I'm glad that the popularity for the character that was garnered from Into the Spider-Verse kind of spawned a need for a book like this. So I'm excited to dive into it. Let's just jump into the synopsis. Murder and mystery in the mighty Marvel Manor. Dateline 1939. As the specter of war looms on the horizon, Spider-Man Noir fights the good fight at home, stopping the injustices of a more friendly neighborhood variety. But after a dame is murdered at the Black Cat nightclub and all clues point overseas, Spidey will have no choice but to board the next flight to Europe and kick off a globe-trotting adventure throughout yesteryear of the Marvel Universe. How can you not pick up this book after a synopsis like that? It's just, I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. These are the kind of stories that, like, um, that I would be into if we're talking, like, um, the World War II, I can't remember his name, um, Orson Randall Iron Fist, or Captain America, like, having a true blue, like, period book of Captain America. These are the kind of stories that I'm into and i will definitely be picking this book up now the book that i've been really enjoying is marauders and this week we're getting marauders number nine written by jerry duggan with art by mateo lolly um this book's just been great it really has i've been loving the intrigue that comes through the um the uh hellfire trading company i like that they're finally catching up on the fact that hey lockheed and Kate Pride might be dead. They found Lockheed last issue unresponsive. We don't know if he's dead yet. Still no word on Kate. I am worried for them, but I'm excited for this book. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Pest Control. 
A very small attack on Krakoa grows into something much bigger thanks to Yellowjacket. Can Captain Kate's crew swat him before his sting pays off? So, that's interesting. Um, I like the fact that certain Marvel characters throughout the universe are jumping into these X-Books. And because it makes sense. They all share in Earth. They share current events. So, it would make sense that this would happen. So, I'm looking forward to this. Next up, this is the part two of our double whammy, our double dose of Doctor Strange. And this is Strange Academy number one, written by Scotty Young with art by Humberto Ramos. I love this creative team. I love this idea. Let's just jump into the synopsis here. A sorcerer school for the Marvel Universe. The Marvel Universe has mysteriously changed in such an alarming way that Doctor Strange has done what he's avoided for decades. He's opened a school for young sorcerers. Young people from around the world with aptitude in magic have been brought together in New Orleans to study the mystic arts under Strange, Brother Voodoo, the Ancient One, the Scarlet Witch, Magic, Hellstrom, and all your favorite Marvel magicians. But with all the new magical threats, is it too late? We're doing Marvel Hogwarts. Like, that's just... Ah, I'm excited about it. I'm really looking forward to it. As a uh, as a childhood Harry Potter fan, I just... I can't recommend this enough. So I'm really excited about it. Um, just... Ah, super stoked. So, yeah. Next up, we have Batman number 90, written by James Tynion IV, art by George Jimenez. Really excited about Jimenez being on board for this book. His art is stellar. I first got introduced to him during the... Uh, Tomasi Gleason Superman run and he was killing it there he was killing it in Scott Snyder's Justice League and I have no doubt he's going to be killing it here as well let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here the mysterious master criminal known only as the designer once brought together Gotham City's greatest criminals to plot the perfect crime and now his plan has been unleashed upon the city in all its might Batman will go to any length to uncover the grand design, but Catwoman is the one who holds the greatest secret. If Batman wins against the designer, he will lose everything. So that's loaded. That's a lot. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we've been seeing on Twitter and Instagram, uh, George Jimenez teasing some pages from his uh, stint on this Batman book, including one that shows Catwoman back in her, like, um, I guess you could call it her long Halloween costume. I'm really looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing uh, flashbacks and kind of seeing where they're going to go with it. Next up, we have Daredevil number 19, another book that has been killing it. Written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto, who is jumping back on the book after the run by uh, George Fornes that I loved. Uh, Marco Cicchetto is so excellent that I'm okay with them alternating on this book. I've been loving this. This is slowly escalating. Last issue, uh, we saw a group of mercenaries, including Bullseye, Crossbones, and others, basically beset upon New York to kill uh, Daredevil and possibly raise the entire city uh, because Wilson Fisk couldn't keep the city under control as mayor. So I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be great. Let's jump into the synopsis here. Hell's Kitchen is hanging by a thread, and that thread is Daredevil. Owl makes his play while Maya Fisk watches from the sidelines. So, yeah, it's what I've loved about this book so far is it's really 
been great at both narratives both Matt's story and Wilson's story have been so strong throughout and I'm really just I'm excited to, to pick this up and see where their story goes next next up we have one of the big ones Flash number 750 written by Joshua Williamson Jeff Johns Michael Morecci Morici I'm sorry uh, Marv Wolfman Francis Manipal and others with art by Rafa Sandoval Jordi Tarragona Scott Collins Steven Segovia David Marquez Brian Hitch Francis Manipal Riley Rosmo and others as well this is uh, Flash's big 80th anniversary big um uh, anniversary book. Batman's had one. Superman's had one. Wonder Woman's had one. Uh, Robin's also having one later this year. But uh, this is the Flash's turn, and I'm really excited about it. Specifically, I'm going to be picking up that Nick Darrington cover, which has both Jay Garrick and Barry Allen shaking hands uh, in front of just an entire stretch of Rogue's Gallery. I love Nick Darrington's art. I love when he draws the Flash. Really looking forward to picking this book up. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here beginning the flash age the story we've been building towards since issue 50 comes to a head while a supercharged speed force wreaks havoc on barry allen's life a new threat appears on the horizon in the form of the deadly paradox destined to destroy the flash's legacy paradox sends his herald godspeed to trap the flash family plus in this special anniversary issue tales from across the generations of super speed speedsters by an all-star lineup of writers and artists so i'm really excited about that we've gotten teases about a wally story we know that he's going to show up here if you haven't checked out last week's episode went up a little bit late because of uh, some personal stuff that happened that week but it's one of my favorite episodes it's one of our geek explain chronicles that just talks about the entire history of wally west we're also getting a jay garrick so both of my favorite flashes are getting represented in this book and we're hopefully going to be getting some uh, bart allen stuff too he's been kind of sidelined over in the young justice book but I'm looking forward to this. This should be really, really good. But the big book of the week, the book that I am the most excited about, the book that I've been waiting for and anticipating since, God, since it was first announced, is Strange Adventures number one. Written by Tom King, art by Mitch Jarrods, and Doc Shaner. This is issue one of 12. This is the next maxi series in Tom King's line, uh, following stuff like Omega Men, Mr. Miracle, The Vision, and others. And I cannot tell you how excited I am. This is going to be a great book. Really looking forward to this. Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. After winning five Eisner Awards and topping a year-end best of lists, the comic book of 2019 was Mr. Miracle. The comic book of 2020 will be Strange Adventures. The Mr. Miracle team of writer Tom King and artist Mitch Jarrods are joined by fan-favorite artist Evan Doc Shaner to bring you an epic tale in the, in the tradition of Watchmen, The Dark Knight Returns, and DC The New Frontier. A story of blood, war, and love that readers will be talking about for years to come. Adam Strange is the hero of Ran, a man famous throughout the galaxy for his bravery and honor. 
After leading his adopted home to victory in a great planetary war, Adam and his wife Alana retire to Earth, where they are greeted by cheers, awards, and parades. But not all is as happy and nice as it seems, as the decisions Adam made during battles on Rand come back to haunt his family and threaten the entire DC universe. And now a surprised DC hero will have to choose between saving Adam Strange and saving the world. A story like no other, Strange Adventures is an ambitious, thrilling, shocking, and beautiful 12-issue saga that will push Adam Strange to the breaking point and beyond. Just, wow. That's, honestly, that's the first time I've read that synopsis. It is crazy good. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the secondary protagonist of this book, the surprise DC hero, will be uh, Mr. Terrific. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, looking forward to seeing what uh, Tom King can be, or can bring to this character. I think he's been... When he's in this realm, when he's doing a uh, 12-issue maxi-series and is given kind of free reign on what to do with these characters, is I think when he's at his best. So I'm really, really excited to see what he does with Adam Strange and Strange Adventures. So that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Doctor Strange number 4, Spider-Man number 1 of 5, Marauders number 9, Strange Academy number 1, Batman number 90, Daredevil number 19, Flash number 750, and Strange Adventures number 1 of 12. I'm really excited about it overall. Lots of strange stuff this week, um, but solid books. Really excited about this, and I'm excited. We're starting to get into that mode of the big books that have been promised this year starting to roll out. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to hopefully more comic book news and more comic books being dropped throughout the year that I can just gush about like I'm sure I'm going to with Strange Adventures. But now, as you know, with the change up of our segments, we are going to dive into the main course, the entree, if you will, of this episode, which is an in-depth discussion on Batman in film, his entire history on the silver screen with special guest Matt Draper. Alright, so we have a very special guest to talk about the uh, legacy of Batman in film. I am really excited about having him on board. Uh, we've been trying to get this going for a little while, and I'm excited to welcome comic book YouTuber extraordinaire Matt Draper. Welcome to the show, man. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, first off... Your thoughts on Batman in film. Do you have a favorite Batman movie? Uh, how do you feel like Batman has been across the years? Well, he's certainly been in a lot of movies, so it's yes. really easy to make a, a <laughs> podcast about it. I know we had briefly bandied about the uh, idea of Superman on film, but there's what, uh, like five of them, six of them? Yeah. <laughs> it's like pretty fast, you know, and like yeah, two of them are two, one and a half of them are good. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'd say so. Yeah, one and a half is a fair approximation. <laughs> so, I suppose Batman's got a pretty good, um, I don't know, uh, amount of representation on film. You know, it's uh, 
I mean, he is. I mean, we're. I know we're not counting the serials, right? Because the. Oh, I've I've got I've got notes on them. Okay. We don't have to. I I didn't watch them, but I made yeah. sure I wanted to make sure they were all represented. Okay, because because I've <laughs> only ever seen clips of them, but I mean, obviously he's Superman's had serials and whatnot. But Batman has just been consistently on screen for, um, I guess that would be sixty years. Yeah. Maybe more, eighty years almost. Yeah. Yeah, almost almost 80 cuz the first yeah. I have it written down here the first uh, serial was 1943. That's right. I'm taking a look here too. Yeah. 1943. So it's crazy. Yeah. Yes. So I to answer your question, yes, I do have a favorite. Should I spoil it or should we should we wait? Oh, we'll we'll get there I think okay. for sure. I do have a favorite. I have a least favorite. I made oh, I made nice. a general ranking. Um yes. And uh, yeah, and then I will, you know, and we'll go through a lot about them. But I mean, I'm a Batman fan. I've been a Batman fan since I was a little kid. Uh, Batman, the animated series, got me hooked on Batman. Absolutely. It was kind of my gateway to superheroes in general. I think that was the first, the first memories I have of Batman are, okay, so let me get this right. Let me get this chronological order correct. Batman Returns came out before Batman the Animated Series. Yes. My first memory of Batman on film is my parents coming home from seeing Batman Returns and going, you can't see that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I was was young at the time. Oh, man. But they weren't, I mean, they didn't, I was seeing R-rated movies when I was like, like seven. They were, they, they took me to see all sorts of movies I shouldn't have, but Batman Returns came out and they were like, no, 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 no. You can't see that. You're not going to go see that movie. That was that was the line. They were like, you can't cross this one. Right. And I think it was, and we'll get into it more, uh, that Batman Returns crossed the line for, I think, a lot of parents back then. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think that that has to do with like a lot of what the expectations were set for the first film Absolutely. after they... And we'll and we'll get into like specifics and stuff. But I guess um, before we get into the uh, whole like chronological history of it, uh, one more quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you're a huge Batman fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you were kind of introduced to Batman through Batman and the animated series, as was I. Yeah. Do you remember what your first animated series episode was? The first one you watched? The first one I remember watching. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now. It was the second Clayface appearance. Oh, that's a good one. Now he, yeah, he's got the two parter. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the the villains when they introduced him, he's got the two parter, but then he showed up again later. And this was the one where he's losing his shape and he keeps getting pressed into that, um, plastic mold. Oh Yeah. And he um, keeps getting pressed into this plastic mold to maintain his shape. And Bat- there's, a, there's a, like a female scientist that's in love with him. Mm-hmm. And Batman confronts him. And they're fighting. And then he busts out of the plastic mold because he can't do his clay face thing when he's in the plastic mold. But whenever he's out of it, he's losing himself. He's, uh, this is very, very vivid in my child brain. He sucks <laughs> Batman into himself. And he's suffocating Batman inside him. And he's like, oh, I can feel his heart. It's getting slower. Okay. Uh, any second now, he's going to die. And I remember being a kid being like, what is going on? 
and it was it it was so messed up in in for a kid show. Yeah, it was the first episode I can remember. I I'm sure I watched more before then, but it's so burned into my brain. That's like my first, for sure, earliest memory. For sure, it was yeah, really messed up. Absolutely, and that show like <laughs> a lot of times got super dark. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I was surprised, like rewatching some of the stuff on the um, on the DC Universe app. Right. Like just rewatching some of the episodes, I was blown away by like, oh, we're talking about this in a kids show. Yeah, there was another Clayface episode in the new Batman Adventures, the later one um, when they came back, where Robin meets a, a little girl. Yeah, she's like this orphan, and it turns out she's just like a piece of Clayface that's been apart from him for long enough that she doesn't that she got her own identity. Yeah, and that then was... he sucks her back in, and that was yeah, all. That... I guess all the Clayface episodes are pretty messed up. They are. I mean that that was actually I think the first um, the first episode that I saw of the new Batman Adventures mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. that one, and then I was like, "Whoa, wait a second! Like he's wearing yeah. a new suit. Dick Grayson looks weird. Like yeah. it was freaky." But <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's definitely a character that I would love to see in the films, like oh, going yeah. forward. Clayface would be amazing. Yes, and I think. I mean, I would love to see him. I would love to see more of the um, the villains that aren't limited by like the 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 so called like grounded reality of Great. of them, because like a, they've always had slight like somewhat grounded reality, and some more than others. Of course, the Nolan ones especially. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of Batman villains that couldn't be in a movie like that, like Clayface or Killer Croc. I mean, let's not count Suicide Squad. That uh, you know. Uh, yeah, let's but, not. Let's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> But stuff like the the full bore, like this guy's a monster or this lady's made out of ink or stuff like that, that, you know, would be like the full breath, like the, the really colorful, like rogues would be awesome to see. Absolutely. And I think bringing in characters like that, I mean, even I think you could be stretching it with like characters like the Mad Hatter, who is ridiculous in kind of his own way without yes. needing to be brought down to like that really gritty Nolan-esque level. For sure. Like the, well, we got to like tame it down a little because, you know, mind controlling hats just don't fit into this. And if they just made a, a universe where like mind controlling hats were like, whatever, you know, sure. Why not? Yeah. Like, like I would be down for like you have like at one point you open this closet and it's just, you know, there's a derby, there's a top hat, there's a ball mm-hmm. cap. And yeah. he's just got like rows of mind controlling hats. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this another conversation that's kind of like why i like the arkham games because they they have a nice balance between the like the realism of like batman's got to work for it you know he's grounded by certain physical limitations and then also like the the villains are more heightened and the the world is more heightened too and it's a nice balance uh between the two so when things get extreme it's like whoa and you're kind of like blown away by it because it's it's sort of pushing past what you thought was there but then most of the time it's like cool and grounded and like kind of feels like a detective story yeah and and i think that dc would really behoove themselves to draw from that kind of energy when it comes to the films going forward but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. looking at films backwards yes segue <laughs> <Good transition>. um, <laughs> so uh, i have 
two quick notes just on the serials. First one was in uh, 1943. Second one was in 1949. Um, they were both released by Columbia Pictures, and they were okay. each uh, 15 chapter film serials. Right now. I didn't recognize any of the actors that they used in this, but one thing that I thought was really interesting was that at least the first one, which was just titled Batman, mm -hmm. um, was used as wartime propaganda for World War II. Huh. Like the uh, the villain is very like racially charged Japanese <laughs> like spy oh, James boy. Bond esque, and then this also through like. Uh, doing my research, I guess the appearance of Alfred in this serial influenced how Alfred looks in the mm, comics now. Because yes. there was, was a little that bit, change. Yeah. Turning into the balding, skinny guy. Yeah, yeah. instead of the like big, portly guy who's always falling off stuff. <laughs> so I thought that, I, I just thought that was really interesting. But it the first big one that we got to talk about is Batman the movie from 1966. Mm-hmm. Yes. 20th Century Fox, uh, Batman is played by Adam West, Robin is Burt Ward, Alfred is Alan Napier, and uh, this one pits him up against Joker, Catwoman, Riddler, and Penguin. Do you Have you seen this? Many times. I've seen it many times. <laughs> I've seen different episodes of the, the, the series, the TV series, off and on sure. um, over the years, but I've definitely seen uh, the movie the most out of everything. And I, I enjoy it uh, quite a bit bit i think it's super fun it's got the campiness and everything that you want from like what the the reputation of the adam west tv show absolutely super colorful it's got music a little bit of dancing not too much dancing all the bang pow biff you know effects it's got all of the villains in full effect um they're all teaming up to dehydrate the <laughs> the united <laughs> the nations UN. and steal their 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 molecules and it, it's fun. I think it's super fun. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a good time. I mean, the, just like the show, it's like, it's a comedy. It's like mm -hmm. a comedy first. It's got like the classic, you know, some days you can't, just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> uh, which is awesome. When he's running around, there's the, the nuns, there's like boy scouts and then there's nuns. And then yeah. there's like, he tries to throw in the water. There's like ducks and he can't throw in the water cause there's ducks. And it's just, it's ridiculous. It's fun. Um, Overall, I think like the movie starts out with like a real bang and you're having a great time and it's super silly. Mm -hmm. And then to me, I, it always kind of like peters out a bit, like like 45 minutes in, you still have another yeah. 45 minutes to go. <laughs> like after, after the bomb and all that sort of initial stuff, it's like we're still going and you know, there's all sorts of other plots and the bat shark repellent comes late, I think thing yes yes it's and near like fun. a climax and, and I there's yeah i think it's you interesting go. like it's um when you're talking about because i absolutely agree like after the first 45 minutes there's this big dip between that <laughs> and you know uh batman fighting off the shark and i think yeah. that kind of speaks to the um the kind of saturday morning cartoon-esque mm -hmm. qualities of the show because that was i mean just a quick half hour show each week and i yeah. think like halfway through writing this film they're like oh no we don't we don't know what to do here we have two episodes but that's yeah. not going to reach the runtime yeah. so I, I but i like that this is really it feels like a 
it feels like a time trapped in a bottle. Like you can look at it and be like everything that's ridiculous, everything that's fun, everything that's silly about that era of Batman is bottled and distilled into this film. Yeah, it's extremely 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Adam West is awesome. Burt Ward's great. I like all everyone is the villains. Um, it's Julie Newmar. No, it's not Julie Newmar as, as Catwoman. It's the other Catwoman. It's, it's actually uh, I, Lee Merriweather. Yes. And that was like notable because it was like the third Catwoman at that point. Yes, it's also Eartha Kitt. Mm-hmm. And then you've got um, Cesar Romero as the Joker with his Classic. mustache that's been painted <laughs> over. And Burgess Meredith as the Penguin. Yep. Um, and I really enjoy all those versions of the characters. I especially like Burgess Meredith as the Penguin. With yeah, his and... cig- cigarette holder and the purple mm-hmm. top hat and all that. Well, and that version of the character, I think, is so um, uh, iconic in that way that we've seen it translated like into the animated series, into the mm-hmm. comics, mm-hmm. even updated to the point like you talked about the Arkham games, mm-hmm. like that version, you know, he's got his little, you know, instead of the cigarette <laughs> holder, he's got his cigar and he's right. still, you know, doing the wah sounds like it's <laughs> so interesting to me, like what gets carried over mm-hmm. and I think that was something that I thought was really um, interesting that they kind of cut off when we get into 1989, Mm -hmm. going into the first Tim Burton Batman film. This was like a full hard stop, like throw out everything you've, you know about Batman. This is now going to be serious. Yes. Yes. Oh, and shout out to Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. He's amazing. Oh my God. He's really great too. So how like the whole like the villain dynamic is like super fun consistently, and the Batman and Robin di- Batman and Robin dynamic is like super fun. Like that's really mm-hmm. what keeps the movie going. And the the plot or what there is of it like just kind of stalls out. Like you still <laughs> like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that speaks to those characters. Like even if the plot is like going nowhere, you still want to be like, oh, what's Batman and Robin doing? Like, how do they feel about this? Yeah, and I think that really that speaks to Adam West and Burt Ward just as actors. Did yes. you um did you did you watch uh, Crisis? Yes, FCW? I did. It was, it was fun having Burt Ward show up for yeah. for. 20 seconds <laughs> i loved seeing it and i knew it was gonna be just like a quick blink and you miss it thing but i love they had the it was like earth 66 and like they right. had the theme going uh, <laughs> it was so fun and i'm glad that they included him yes but, me too. but now we do go to uh the big blockbuster batman film mm-hmm. uh Released from Warner Brothers, uh, directed by Tim Burton. Uh, cast is uh, Batman is Michael Keaton. Jack Nicholson plays the Joker. Michael Goff in one of in the first of his many Alfred roles. Yes. And um, what I think is really interesting is that this film was only greenlit by Warner Brothers after uh, Tim Burton knocked it out of the park with Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this film, like when they were pulling it together and I got this list here because I thought this was fascinating. Um, They initially wanted just like in um, in the original search for Superman, they wanted some big A-list actor to play Batman. Right. And I have the list here. I want to I want to hear what you think about these actors. There's one I know. There's one I know that's super weird. The rest I'm not sure about. Okay. So I've got Harrison Ford, first off. Uh, I couldn't see him in a Batman costume. 
it would be weird, right? I it feel like really Han weird. Solo is like as charactery as he would go with costumes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next up, we have Pierce Brosnan. He's like my second least favorite James Bond. So I don't know. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. That is absolutely fair. Um, next up, we have Tom Hanks. No, absolutely not. No, I love Tom Hanks, but he, no, I, I could never see him doing it. It would be it would be a little strange. I could see him, you know, he's got Superman energy just as a person. He's more Superman than Batman, for sure. So next up we have Kevin Costner. Uh he's I don't know. He's a little too maybe it's because he's in so many baseball movies. He's a little <laughs> too like Midwest, you know, like Batman's more like that East Coast, you know, sort of debonair guy in Kevin Costner would look weird in a, in a even a tux. Well, we just had to we would just have to explain that his whole, you know, sojourn out of Gotham has been playing, you know, baseball in the Midwest. And then he comes <laughs> back, he's Batman because he's baseball bad and there you sure. go. Big bad oh, great. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, so next up we have Charlie Sheen. No, no, no. That's like <laughs> Big Coke 80s energy Batman, like, oh, man. I couldn't see that either. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we have two more. So we have Willem Dafoe. (sighs) Too creepy. I could see him as, like, a Batman Red Rain Batman, you know, vampire Batman. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, the weathered face and the fangs and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I could see that. I like Willem Dafoe a lot. He doesn't always have to play a creepy guy either, like... Um, so movie, Florida Project. If you've if you've seen that from a few yes. years ago, played yeah. like a super nice guy, a normal guy. He's great, but Absolutely. he's usually the creepier, a little, little creepier. Yeah, and I'm surprised because I looked this up and I was surprised that they never tried to bring him in for Joker. Like he because I think Joker. he would have been amazing. And like we yeah. see all the time now, you know, people fan casting him. You know, oh, he's got to be the Joker. But like, mm-hmm. it's so interesting that Warner Brothers never saw him that way. Yes, absolutely. The the two people that I always wanted to see play the Joker that I thought would be amazing, Willem Dafoe and David Bowie. I think David Bowie. Oh, man, that would be incredible. Yeah. David yeah, Bowie sort of is that, the Joker. That more uh, Dark Knight Returns style Joker. Yeah, with the white. Oh, I could see him in the white suit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. So the last person on this list... Is, Can I guess who this? Do it. Is it Bill Murray? No. Oh, okay. Do yours, and then we'll do the other one. It was Mel Gibson. Uh, yeah. You know, I think Mel Gibson could work. Uh, or younger Mel Gibson before he turns into like a face that looks like a catcher's mitt uh, <laughs> and a it, personality to match. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Mel Gibson as Mad Max. Mm-hmm. You know, which is sort of kind of Batman-y, like stoic intense on edge all the time man of few words definitely right. works for batman i Absolutely. mean again he's a problematic person in real life <laughs> yes yeah okay but, so the other one i had was yes. bill murray i heard about this i didn't look into it but go for it um in the er, earlier in the like early 80s so the batman so batman 89 was like in was trying to be made for like a decade basically mm-hmm. And there's this whole thing about going, you know, the rights changing hands and certain people getting a hold of it. 
And Ivan Reitman almost directed Batman and wanted okay. Bill Murray for Batman. That's and so wanted, like, odd. And it was going to be more like the Batman 66 Batman, where it's a joke, it's fun, take, we're deconstructing the character, having a good time, that uh, kind of thing. So it would been like you... Ghostbusters energy or Stripes. Oh, man. Batman, so, yeah. Do you think that would have worked in the mid to late 80s? It, if that had happened it would have completely changed the trajectory of all superhero <laughs> movies. It was For sure. Because Batman 89, and we'll get into this, is like the foundational movie. Like Superman, like Richard Donner's Superman, is mm-hmm. huge and is like the, the urtext for like the entire superhero genre, right? For like sure. they're all pulling from Superman the movie. But Batman 89 is the one that like shocks it to life, basically. It's like... Right. It's a massive blockbuster. Everyone loves it. It propels superheroes and especially Batman like really into the forefront of the mainstream. And you kind of for the next decade, you get these like off and on superhero movies. Most of them aren't very good, but they're still playing off of it. Batman, the the Batman movies that follow kind of keep it all alive. And then eventually you get to like Blade in 99, I think. Which is mm. awesome. Blade's still great. And Blade 2 is awesome. And Blade 3 is terrible. Um <laughs> And then you get Spider-Man, X-Men, or it's X-Men, then Spider-Man, I mm-hmm. think. And then just things just take off from there. So if this had been like a like a fun comedy, you know, poking fun at superheroes in like 1985, I don't know where things would have gone. It would have been very different. Absolutely. And I think that they absolutely, even on the trajectory that we had, definitely did their best to try and derail it with (laughs) films like, you know, the Schumacher films, which we will get into. And even, and I completely forgot this even came out, uh, Steel in the mid nineties with Shaq. Ah. (laughs) When the, when the, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies were done (laughs) and his heir was Shaq. (laughs) Oh man. But yeah, it's, talking about this batman 89 like eventually of course they did settle on um michael keaton as batman and i think even now that is a long shot choice when you look at his uh his filmography up till that point like that was a big risk for them yeah i always hear people talk about apparently there was outrage and there was you know if the internet had been around people would have been exploding but you know people were you know sending in letters and whatnot and mad because he was Beetlejuice and Mr. Mom beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so those really don't necessarily lend themselves to thinking of someone as Batman. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, he totally works. I'm going back to those alternate casting choices. Are there any that you could have seen? You're asking me, but I was wondering what you would think. I think I agree on the, you know, mid to late eighties, Mel Gibson. Because mm-hmm. I think that he's someone who has, and as we saw in later years with like the Mad Max films and then later on in his actual life, he has a lot mm-hmm. of darkness in him, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which I think could have translated really well. Because mm-hmm. I mean, some of some of the actors who, you know, have played Batman, whether it's on screen, uh, voicing them in an animated film, have a lot of darkness to them. And I think Mel Gibson really could have brought it. Yeah. Um, I agree that definitely, uh, definitely not on Pierce Brosnan or Charlie <laughs> Sheen. I I feel like if he actually cared about it, Harrison Ford could do it. 
Right. But it'd be one of those situations where it would almost be like a uh, like a Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man thing where he's like, mm. I'm not interested in being in the suit 100% yeah. of the time. You could do close-ups <laughs> of my face, like I'll be in the cowl. But like anytime there's like Batman stuff, you get a stunt guy doing that. And that's a lot easier. Uh, that's a lot easier now, you know, oh, with Iron sure. Man than it would be back then. Yeah, absolutely. But one person that no one had a problem with, I think, and still doesn't, was Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Oh yeah, he's amazing. It's Keaton's great as Batman. He's such like a weirdo Batman, mm-hmm. um, and he's really like I don't know. He's like he's kind of aloof. You know, he doesn't really like want to like emotionally commit to anything and not in like um, not in like a I'm so dark and I'm tortured kind of way, but more <laughs> in a I, I don't really know how to interact with people kind of way, like socially right. awkward Batman. Right. Yeah. Like, and he's I not like that aspect yeah. of him. Yeah. And Nicholson is like this like big charismatic guy. And even before he becomes the Joker, he's so like larger than life. And like when he becomes the Joker, it's not like it like breaks his brain or anything it's just brings out his his worst side like if he's like okay 50 percent of the time and terrible 50 percent of the time before he's the joker now he's terrible 100 percent of the time as the joker and it's just it's interesting because he really is like jack nicholson like the entire time <laughs> yeah you know and it's so funny like thinking about how like you said when the joker becomes the joker and this is really the first time th- like on screen that they had given him a legit like origin right like showing us him beforehand and then giving him like oh he turns into the joker um really all this did was made him you know change up his color palette and his wardrobe <laughs> like he got a little yeah. louder started yeah. wearing purple started and listening to prince yes which i think is probably a positive change Yes, but, generally. Maybe not the Batman soundtrack in particular, but Prince overall. <laughs> I don't know, man. That that museum scene just with, with, with Party Prince Man. Blaze. Yes. <laughs> I will live and die with Party Man always. <laughs> I'm more of a fan of Scandalous, which plays over the end credits. <laughs> yes. Uh, I you know, I had I've recently rewatched it this past fall and I completely forgot about Scandalous being on there. Uh, uh-huh. I just expected we got to the credits and I'm like, all right, I'm ready for this Danny Elfman score to set me uh-huh. out. And then Prince comes back on and I was just blown away. I'd completely forgotten. Yeah, you know, it's like this is this is a jam, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but also um, let's yeah. let's talk about that score, man. Like Danny Elfman oh, brought it just as yes. much as the actors did. Mm-hmm. Incredible. I mean, he had worked with, I mean, I think he did the Pee Wee soundtrack, I believe, or the Beetlejuice soundtrack. So he was like Tim Burton's guy. But before that, like all he had done is is Oingo Boingo. You know, he's an (laughs) Oingo Boingo before he was doing soundtracks. And so like, I don't know, like pulling this Batman soundtrack out, the score is like, where did he like, like before that, like who would know that Danny Elfman had like that, you know? Absolutely. And that opening where you're going through just it looks like the stone hallways and it pulls out and it's the the giant Symbol. Batman logo. Yeah. You know? And the, the Batman theme is like blazing and just builds so great. It's like this is how like you start the movie. Like this is like announcing like this is Batman. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's huge. Like no, the I mean, anyone that had like reservations about the movie probably lost them right then. For you sure. know, like that's how you announce the movie within the movie. 
Yeah, and I think it paralleled really well with the John Williams score for Superman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that big, like this yeah. was, I love the use of just really making it haunting and gothic. And yeah. this really um, uh, spoke to what that character was and how they wanted to present him in that yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It really works. The whole thing sounds great start to finish um the uh is it the march of the batwing i believe that's the name of, yes. the, of the track that's an awesome one too so and good. when batman clips the balloons and does that flight up <laughs> above the moon and like puts out the, the symbol it's oh, like it's so cool i i mark out every single time i, see that. <laughs> I just i'm like yes bat symbol <laughs> But yeah, yeah I, I think the film does a great job. And what's interesting is that they decided not to go with an origin story. Oh, uh, yeah. Which was the, I think the easy choice is to just, A, let's start him from the ground up. And we would see that with, you know, the reboots later on down the line. But this one, they're like, no, he's in it. He's already kicking yeah. ass. Like, he is Batman. Yeah, it's interesting in that the beginning of the movie has that couple and their son being robbed in the alley. Mm-hmm. And you're, it's sort of a fake out, you know, of yeah. like, oh, is this the origin? No, it's not. He's already Batman. And he's a really bad Batman, too, because he totally <laughs> let those people get robbed. Yes. He's just hanging out on that giant building, you know, hundreds of feet up. <laughs> and then you do get the the flashback. And it's it's interesting that, like, Bruce Wayne isn't well known. Like, Bruce Wayne now in, like, a movie is like, everyone knows who Bruce Wayne is. Everyone knows that the Waynes were killed. You know, it's, like, a matter of fact. Like, it's a huge thing of public record. And yeah. in, the, in 89, like, it's like, no one really knows, like, what's going on with him. They don't even know what he looks like. You know, like, Vicky Vale's wandering around, doesn't even know that he's Bruce Wayne for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then you figure, you find out the origin. And then you find out that the Joker killed the parents, and you're oh, sort of like, yeah. interesting, which apparently was Tim Burton's decision. Really? Um, Sam Hamm, who wrote the script, or what, a version of the script, mm-hmm. said that he didn't put that in there, but when it was rewritten by Burton, he put that in there. And it feels, I mean, I think to a certain extent in this film, in this like isolated incident, it works. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if... I like that idea, like just in general. I think this was, it worked for this isolated film for the mm-hmm. world they were trying to build and the kind of like cinematic parallels they were trying right. to reach of him, you know, creating Batman and Batman creating him in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, like all of, all of like Batman's and Bruce Wayne's public image, very uh, Jay Gatsby in that mm, way yes. like it's very paralleled of like him just kind of walking around parties of like <laughs> you know oh that bruce wayne guy you know i heard he you know he's a gambler and like just mm-hmm. stuff like that and i think it's really it's a take that i would love to see utilized again because i don't think like you said like nowadays it's like oh everyone knows billionaire bruce wayne like mm-hmm. down to you know what shirt size he wears uh-huh. but like i would love more mystique especially with like a batman who might be near like the earlier stages of his career yeah yeah for sure and it's an interesting take and and yeah i'm not crazy about the joker killing his parents i get that it works and that it creates this duality and you sort of bring them full circle to the end and you make a, the movie as a whole you know right. the the villain and the the hero are perfectly tied together and you 
create this entire hero's journey and the villain's journey and they sync up and it's it's a nice piece of symmetry to make right. your movie complete. So that's great. Um, I also love... So my feeling about Batman 89 is that I like it and it's really interesting, but I can't quite love it. And every mm. time that I watch it, and I've, I've watched it so many times over the years, <laughs> um, is it's like... It's a movie that almost looks, almost works better as still images than an actual movie. <laughs> like you, little animation if, cells. Yeah, if you just like stop a frame, you know, like a decent frame, you're like, that, that looks amazing. Yeah. You play the score and you're like, this sounds amazing. And then you watch the movie and you're like, something, it's flowing weird. It's like very stop and start. Like it has weird scene transitions. Like it's not really like driving all the way consistently, all the way to the end. And maybe it's like Burton and the studio just kind of trying to figure out what to do here. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got amazing production design. The Anton first Batmobile is just incredible. It looks so good. Like, that's my second favorite Batmobile ever. We'll we'll talk about my first favorite in a a later movie. Oh, definitely. But... um, it's it looks amazing. Gotham is cool. I think in the script it says uh, Gotham looks as if hell has erupted from the concrete, and like it's oh, like perfect, it's like so it's so cool. cool. But like and the, but then you watch the movie and like like the Prince music's there and like <laughs> like the performances just like make some weird notes every so often. Like the you want to get nuts, let's get I was, nuts. I was gonna bring that up, stuff yeah. like that, or like Vicky Vale is, eh, or like her or Knox, her partner is like, ah, <laughs> and it's like stuff like that, or like the the guy that plays um, Eckhart, the the yeah. The, 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 <laughs> yeah. the detective. You're like these performances are like all over the place, you know? Like yeah. yeah, and like some of them feel like they're in completely different movies. Yes, like. Which I guess is like, oh, this blockbuster, you know, brought all these different genres together. But it's like, <laughs> did it need to? Yeah. Because Keaton is constantly, like, level and solid and so good. And he's real, like, focused in and and in a weird way, but still intense. Yeah. Um, and everyone else. And, and Nicholson is, like, hitting a high note consistently. And they right. play off well against each other, up like high and low, and then but everyone else is just 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 throw everything, you know. Let's, let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, Knox feels like he walked straight off of like Groundhog Day or like something <laughs> like a, like it's talking about Bill Murray. Like he feels yeah. like just completely away from everybody else. Yeah. and it's it's so interesting to me how at least in my opinion, like it felt more focused as we get into Batman Returns. Yes. So yes. Batman Returns, nineteen ninety two, the sequel. Um, this was huge. Oh, this yeah. was a huge deal, especially when they announced like Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, Danny DeVito's The Penguin. Like they even we even got serious character actor Christopher Walken to be in yes. this film. <laughs> and it's that, po- that yeah, it's yeah. Keep going. It's it's there's so much there's so much to talk about with all these movies. <laughs> well, and and you can really tell in this film immediately as soon as the curtain goes up, like Burton had free reign on this one. No one was giving him any notes on this yes. because this is so purely a Tim Burton film that yeah. like it almost in certain respects feels like a soft reboot mm-hmm, from the first mm-hmm. Batman film. Yeah. Um. And it's it's so interesting to me, like when we 
look at because I feel like even Keaton feels a little bit more heightened in as yeah. Batman in this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His hair is certainly heightened. <laughs> yes. um, it's yes. yeah, it, it's definitely like so. The studio was like, "Wow, Batman, huge! Tim Burton, you're the guy. Uh, go do whatever you want, I guess." And I think um, he he definitely had more control over the script and um, he. Everything from like the the direction of the film to like this focus of the script to the balance between the characters is like so much more Burton than like anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I I like Tim Burton. I I like his earlier stuff more when he was still like trying. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, there's a certain point where yeah. like it's just like it's like I don't know. Let's just do another thing. It's like the last thing, I guess. I mean, yeah. Alice in Wonderland is. A terrible movie like oh it's awful yeah it's horrible and that's the studio also going like do your tim burton thing like you made batman like make another thing (laughs) and i feel like like a lot of people like kind of coast off of that it's like oh yeah he did batman is it anything like batman when a new tim burton film comes out (laughs) and i mean i i remember when he was kind of when he was stretching for a little bit and i because i as a theater nerd like Mm. i love Sweeney Todd like I'm oh a, yeah yeah I I'm really a writer like di- I'm a writer die Sweeney Todd guy but like yeah. you can tell that at this point especially like he was given free reign and he kind of didn't know what to do with it mm-hmm. and he was just like all right I'm just gonna throw everything and see yeah. what I can stitch together for sure and I think I mean you can see so I think that in the in Batman 89 Tim Burton identifies with the Joker. Mm-hmm. Like he does, he identifies less with Batman, but there's the Batman's like social anxiety is more Burton-y. Like there's always the people that just don't know how to connect with like the, the regular world and normal people and stuff. And they find their own people or they're just kind of like s- separated from the rest of society, which right. is Batman. But the Joker is like everything that Tim Burton wants to be. Like he's the he says like I am the world's first fully functioning homicidal artist I think, <laughs> and they're like great like Joker is an artist and he wants to be who he wants to be and like that's like Tim Burton's thing, yeah. And then in Batman Returns, I think he identifies more with the Batman in this one and mm-hmm. with Catwoman and with the Penguin. They're all these like broken outcast people that are trying to find their place in society. Mm-hmm. And Max Shrek, Christopher Walken is like the epitome of like the worst of like normal society. Yeah, he's, he's taking advantage of them. He's taking advantage of the way society works. He's a terrible person, but no one knows it. And everyone else is kind of like rotating around that guy and trying to figure out like where to be and how they relate to each other. Um, yeah, which is why the. The Bruce and Selina romance in Batman Returns is so much more interesting than him with Vicky Vale <laughs> or um, in Batman Begins him with uh, Rachel Dawes or anything like that because they're both like they're they're really messed up, but they do fit together in ways. But there's something there's something different about them where they can't quite fit. They're almost like perfect fits. But the tragedy is like they can't they, they'll never be able to actually perfectly fit together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. And I like the giant penguins. Um, and I like them when they put their the rockets on their backs that's pretty awesome yeah that scene with the Batmobile when he takes control of it it's like a little arcade (laughs) game yeah 
Like, yeah. it's wild. And, like, you can see how Burton was trying to find new ways to shake up even what he had done in the first film. Yeah. Um, the Max Shrek character, I think, as from what I was, like, looking up, I have in my notes, like, at one point, he was supposed to be Harvey Dent. Yes, like, that's right. they were... And I absolutely feel that we got robbed by not seeing yeah. Billy D. Williams turn into Two-Face. Yeah, absolutely. But, it's, like, he was... Yeah. He was really building off of different stuff. Like the plot is essentially derived from a Batman 66 episode where the penguin <laughs> runs for mayor. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that Tim Burton was like, okay, I'm going to take this, but I'm going to make him super weird. And I'm going to throw in, you know, Catwoman. I, I think he was really like, even as crazy and as ridiculous as movie gets, there's something admirable about him being able to really stretch his vision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's great. He gets to play with all this weird stuff and like the Gotham at Christmas. It looks really awesome. Gotham yeah. in the snow is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, he doesn't really care about how he represents Batman. Like, right. he's just like, I'm just telling the story. I guess this Batman guy has been around for a while in the <laughs> comics. I don't really care. Like, I don't re- I really don't think he's read many comic books. That's fine. No. Um, <laughs> but just him, like, flambeing that guy with the engine of the Batmobile. Yeah. You know? or, or I mean, he bom- sticks the dynamite the on bomb. the guy, yeah. kicks him into the sewer. Like, yeah. <laughs> there are moments where it's like, do you know who Batman is? It doesn't like, matter. It doesn't it's matter. So, yeah, it's so crazy. Like, um, and we make a lot of bones, I think, today about Batman's no killing rule. Yeah. Um, I can't even imagine like the idea of like, <laughs> all right, so we've got a kill count for Batman. Let's just start marking them <laughs> off. Yeah. And I think this Batman feels like crazed. Like that. Mm-hmm that spark of him that we saw in the let's get nuts scene. It's like, yeah. all right, let's take that Batman and like make an entire movie about him. Yes. Cause he's well, so like ridiculous. Yeah. He, he doesn't, it's not even about like, Oh man, I got to protect the city and avenge my parents. And I get, he's like, I'm just, I'm working stuff out here. You know, I got to <laughs> yeah. kind of do this thing. This is how I can, I'm just trying to be me. You yeah. Know, that's kind of Batman in this movie. And, um, Oh, what was I gonna say? Uh, oh, <laughs> the the scene where they light up the bat signal in Batman Returns. Yes, and you cut to to Wayne Manor, and Bruce is oh. sitting in in pitch black because just not doing, and then suddenly he has these bat signal lights that just shine into Wayne Manor <laughs> to let him know. Yeah. It's like. So this is clearly a guy that has hasn't had anyone over to his place in a really long time. Because what if he was hosting a party like in the in Batman '89? All of a sudden, there's these like bat signals like shining into into the party. Like yeah. people will be like, Bruce, what what is that? What's going on? Like he doesn't doesn't matter because no one's no one's over. <laughs> oh no! It, but but it would have been perfect because everyone would be like, Bruce, you know what's all these lights? And he'd be like, Who's Bruce? No one knows yeah. what he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know. Wouldn't matter. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, it's so interesting how much of a left turn they take from yeah. that spirit of the original film, and that I think is summed up in the Danny DeVito Penguin, who is just one of the most despicable, uh, like, yeah. gross. Yeah. yeah, just 
uh, it makes you like queasy <laughs> throughout the, the entire film. The black bile leaking yeah. out of his mouth. He's always in his like the, he's in the same onesie that he was in when he was a kid. It's just like stretched <laughs> yeah. out as he's grown. And he's and, just like, he's... super like just gross about like sexual harassment. Yes. Like yes. he is definitely like you know, oh yeah, he would be a Gotham politician. Like I get uh, it, man. Like, well, yeah, it's 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 like he he's running for for Max Shrek is like bankrolling him basically, yeah. and like I don't know if this is intentional or not. Not to get too political, but but Shrek is very Trumpian. Yes, like, he is, he and, and he's is. got his son. He's got his son with him, who's like Donald Trump Jr. You know, aping <laughs> him and everything. And I I love that. The actor playing his son is just doing a straight Christopher Walken impersonation. Yes. But like, there's that point at near near the start where the, the 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 circus freaks come out and they're like harassing him, and he, he his son steps in front of him. He's like, "Dad, go save yourself!" <laughs> and he's like, "I wonder what I wonder what Walken thought about this." You know, just How, like this guy's you... making fun of me to my face. Well, can you imagine just being an actor? Like, it's your first day on set. You, you're you casted in this. You're really excited. And you come over to Christopher Walken. You're like, hey, so <laughs> I'm your son, right? So uh-huh. wouldn't I talk like you? <laughs> like, what must have been going through Walken's mind every time he had a scene with him? Yeah. I'm just like, is that what I sound like? <laughs> It, it Walken these days is like really like he's leaning into the Walkenness. Yes, you know? this is like right on the edge of that. He's like about to like really like push into it. Yeah, you know? he's about to do I, that uh, that Fat Boy Slim music video where he's like dancing through the hotel lobby. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so he's um, yeah, and um, I was it, super random. The last week I was watching uh, do the movie The Dead Zone. Yes, the Stephen King one with, with Walken, and he's like, he's like so restrained and like grounded. It's such a great movie. It's really like just character focused, and it's like, mm. it's really like a personal focused movie. And um, he's great in it. But he's if he was like doing his full Walken thing, he would be um, it, it would throw the movie off entirely. Well, and to I guess mirror that, I don't know if you have watched any of the new like oh let's bring you know musicals to live television and do live stage productions if you oh yeah did you see the the peter pan one because oh wasn't he captain hook he was captain hook i have to tell you about this because this is amazing um he plays captain hook and there's a moment where they are you know going through the lagoon and they're searching for Wendy and the Lost Boys. And you, the entire time, Christopher Walken does not care about being there. He just, <laughs> he is there for a paycheck. And there's a moment where he's just like, you know, something about like, oh, they went into the lagoon. <laughs> and he, he delivers it just like that. And I'm like, Oh my God, Christopher Walken! <laughs> this is the most Walken thing I've seen you do in a really long time. Gosh, yeah, um, yeah. He—it's so weird to put that character at the center of this movie. Like, just throw this guy in. Make make Max Shrek has more lines and more screen time than Bruce Wayne. Like, it's, it's really strange. Yeah, it's so true. And I like—I don't know what the reasoning was behind that. Because like, Burton just doesn't care about Batman. 
This doesn't yeah, you're right. You're right. And I say this saying, saying full well that I love the movie. I love right. Batman Returns. Um, but I mean, he just doesn't care about Batman. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Catwoman benefits a lot from Burton loving that character. Michelle Pfeiffer is sure. amazing as Catwoman. She's got such a weird like arc. Like she goes from the mousy um, secretary to this like deranged, like fully like in her element, you know, yeah. psychopath. And like, not, again, not like really like Catwoman at all in the comics, mm-hmm. um, but like a really iconic role. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, another weird character, but the, the, the movie works really well because of her, too. Absolutely. Putting a lot of the film from her POV, like showing off like her normal life, like very much in the same way that they did um, for the Joker in the previous film, showing mm-hmm. the before and after, uh, having Michelle Pfeiffer's like Selena Kyle just having to deal with what being a secretary was like in the 80s. Yeah. Just terrible people bosses just treating you like garbage <laughs> yeah and then Getting she pushed out of windows uh happens you know, all the time yeah you know that's why i left my secretary job it happened too often but like got to those awnings that <laughs> her. just and then watching like this weird supernatural element of like these yeah. like half dozen cats licking her to life yeah it was odd but like watching her you know tearing open you know these um I don't remember if it was like actual, actual like dresses or some kind of like oh, leather just, garments. It's like a, it's like a raincoat or something, or just yeah. a giant like, plastic early '90s trench coat, and she's ripping it up and sewing it together, and yeah. And that bat, Batwoman, that Catwoman costume is like, I think so. Like when you think of Catwoman, like that's instantly what pops to mind for a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, like yeah. that's the iconic version of that character, and I don't know. I and I didn't look. I should have looked this up, but I, I feel like Michelle Pfeiffer is the only actress who really could have pulled off that range that she goes through in this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I she's she's really great in all the different stages of Selena and all the different, you know, elements. I love the scene near the end where they're at the the fancy ball and they're Bruce and Selena and they still don't know who the other one actually is. And they, they do the, the mistletoe line that they had yes. said to each other earlier. And then they, at that moment they realize and they're yeah. kind of like in shock of like, Oh my gosh, like, what do we do? Like, I love that. That's like <laughs> one of the best moments in the movie. And then the penguin pops up and his giant rubber ducky. And that's also awesome. <laughs> Going again, I, I totally understand why my parents said you cannot watch this movie. <laughs> You're getting blown up and destroyed and sexually harassing each other, and, and there's penguins being abused, you know, for warfare, and yeah. there's, tri- there's attempted child murder and all this like sort of lots stuff. Lots of child murder. I also somehow got a hold of the Batman Returns uh, um, trading cards as a kid. There yeah. were these cheap, cheapo, cardboardy plastic, cardboardy papery um, trading cards that they had back then, and they had scenes from the movie on them. And together, in chronological order, they would, in a short paragraph, would say what the scene w- was. And together, you would piece together the entire movie. And they had them back then. They used to put them out for movies back then, 
randomly and remember yeah. getting my hands on them and seeing these scenes and be like, oh my God, like what is this movie? Like what's happening in this movie? Maybe that's why I like it so much because it it captured my imagination as a kid. And then when I saw it, it's so freaking weird that it still surpassed my imagination. It's so interesting to me, like looking at how the marketing was for this film, because mm-hmm. just like, you know, a lot of people's expectations, the marketing absolutely was like, yeah, let's put these in like Happy Meal toys. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do, you know, trading cards like this is a family movie. And then like just <laughs> completely the opposite. Did not. Yeah, it's like and then they were like, oh, no. What have we done? And all the parents were like, what have you done to our children? And all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah. And it's no wonder why Burton wasn't invited back for more. Yeah. Before we get to the next live action Batman film, though, we do have a theatrical uh, Batman film that came out in 1993. Batman Mask of the Phantasm. A.K.A. the best Batman movie. The best Batman movie. (laughs) I will fight anyone who disagrees. I love this so much. Uh, directed by Eric Radomski, Kevin Conroy's Batman, Mark Hamill as the Joker, Dana Delaney as Andrea Beaumont, or so, spoiler alert, Phantasm for spoiled a... Spoiled by a toy. Yeah. Spoiled by a toy back then, too. So, And it's so, like, this film is so good, and it just boggles the mind that this didn't make any money. <laughs> They totally bungled the release, too. Mm-hmm. It was originally supposed to be straight to video. Right. And they had a certain budget. And then at the last minute, they were like, let's do theatrical. Here's more budget. <laughs> Blow out the movie more, bigger. I think they even had to change the aspect ratio. Yeah. And they, still, they handled it like champs. But I also think it hit it hurt the, the marketing, too. They didn't know what they were doing with it at all. And oh, it's really sure. fun. And it's like, I mean, they didn't they still had to meet that same like release date or at least like within 30 days of it. So they only yeah. had something like six months to be like, okay, let's turn this into a big full thing. Yeah. Um, but this really, I think regardless of all of that, like is Batman distilled into his purest form, which really is, I mean, the animated yeah. series in general, but mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the movie is so cool in that it's, kind of a weird adaptation of batman year two yes with the reaper yes the reaper uh batman thankfully doesn't use a gun like he does in that story (laughs) yeah but yeah like bringing in this this uh character andrea beaumont like as this lost love of bruce wayne's back Mm. when he was still deciding whether he wanted to be batman we get to see an actual like origin story for him in the animated series uh version of that character Mm -hmm. and i think i think they pull it off really well extremely well it's so good that the alternating timelines and almost this you know the mystery aspect of it and the mystery of what turned Bruce Wayne into the man he is today paired with uh, who is the phantasm is, is so cool. And the, the, there's a lot of, it's very emotional. It's a very emotional movie too. Absolutely. The, like seeing Bruce's, you know, happiness, it, him, like the multiple scenes, like at his, his parents' graves when oh. he's like, when it's raining and he's like, oh my God, I'm so yeah. sorry. Like, I thought I could do this, but I can't, you know, because he's found Andrea. And then when she leaves and everything that happens with her, with her dad, 
the scene where he becomes Batman and he pulls on the the, oh, the costume for the first chills. time. Alfred, the music is swelling and Alfred's like horrified. It's so good. The music's amazing. Oh, Shirley um, Walker did an incredible job. Yeah, and taking the animated series theme and then blowing it out with the um, the uh, choir behind it, that like gothic choir, yeah. and just kind of like getting the full breadth of like the budget for the for the theme for the score just like the Danny Elfman stuff it just it elevates it a lot to um the final confrontation with the explosions at the world's fair that joker laugh yeah him just iconic amazing him so like giddy that he's about to die like it's so insane yeah and then it just feels like hell is opening up and then like the final scene where Bruce finds the uh, the necklace uh, in the back cave and is like crying, and then you see Andre. It's just like it's so like emotional. Like it absolutely is. Like, there's, there's no other Batman movie hits that no, as hard. Not even close. I mean, what you're talking about the moment of him being in the in the uh, in the graveyard. There's a line he says that breaks my heart every time. He's like, "I didn't count on being happy," mm, and it yeah. like oh, it Ugh. hits me every time I hear it. Yeah. And that scene, like when the um, the music's swelling, you know, he reaches over, Alfred hands him the cowl for the first time and he puts it on. Yeah. And it's like there have been so many like YouTube videos like talking about that moment. Yeah. <laughs> way better than I could ever articulate it. <laughs> but like it's so amazing because you never actually see what he looks like. Mm-hmm. You just see the mm-hmm. silhouette and yeah. Alfred is horrified yeah. because he knows like he's lost him. Yeah. He's lost him into this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then so good. watching that kind of parallel with how Andrea has been lost in this pursuit of revenge mm-hmm. and seeing Batman really kind of seeing that from two different perspectives is so cool. Yeah. It's really cool. The voice acting is amazing. Oh, Everyone's fantastic. Amazing. The, like the animated series, you could tur- you could like turn off the visuals for mm-hmm. Mask of the Phantasm, and you'd still get like a ton from it, just yes. from just from the performances and the music, and of course the sound effects. Like it's almost feels like it could be a radio play because mm-hmm. it's all there in the vocal performances. It's it's really great, and the animation's really good too, um, sure. given the extra budget and the widescreen of it, and just like. The the, the the designs of Gotham are just, just like the animated series are really cool with the dark deco style. And um it's just it's it's great. It 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 again it feels like it feels dark and it feels mature, but not in like the, the Tim Burton way of like, oh my god, like wow, we're actually doing this. <laughs> like this is supposed to be for everyone. This is like, oh, this is like grappling with a lot of a lot of layers like that you maybe wouldn't have expected. Yeah. I, and I mean, they touch on something that I don't think it's touched on enough. And that's that there was a time when the GCPD did not trust Batman. Mm-hmm. The chase scene oh, where Batman is trying him. to escape the GCPD is mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. It's a great tense sequence where he's like, you know, he's been, he's bloodied and he's mm-hmm. like lost his cape. He is just, he's lost his cowl. He's at, you know, the, um, the threat of being unmasked and revealed. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it does a great job at ratcheting up the tension with every single new development. Yeah. And yeah. 
it's just it's it's fantastic and it is absolutely the best batman film that i have ever seen yeah it's so good it's so great um i mean there's definitely episodes of the animated series that are better than most batman movies agree you know if you just like just if you're comparing like apples to oranges a bit you know if it's like you know if we're looking at um uh heart of ice is one of my favorites obviously so good series um almost got him i love um i'm I'm a big fan of robin's reckoning as well robin's reckoning is amazing another one that has flashbacks yep it really works really well um uh, a really random one that i love is a bullet for bullock yes remember that one that's a really good another good one is uh pov that also deals with which is the very rashomon style of Mm -hmm. looking at it three different ways on Leather Wings is the very first one. I think it's like a really strong debut for the entire series. There's for a sure. few there's a few clunkers in there. Of I've course. got Batman in my basement. Uh, <laughs> the first penguin one is really bad. But like as the series went on, they like there's fewer and fewer clunkers and more and more like awesome ones. And so there's some there's some of those ser- animated series episodes that are just tied for best Batman stories across like any medium. And yeah. Mask of the Phantasm is also right there. Best best Batman stories of any medium, you know, comics, TV, movies, yeah, any of them. It's it's up there, absolutely, because it is just like it's a great story. It's super emotional. Kevin Conroy's Batman is is my is is my favorite Batman. I would say, you know, just in general, um, and everyone's like really really working really well. And it's just I don't know. It's also a movie that like knows exactly what it wants to say. Mm-hmm. And it says it, and then it gets out. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's no time wasted, and you don't feel mm-hmm. like any bit of it is unimportant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it all like the structure is really, really strong. It's mm-hmm. all locking together, and the things that they set up really pay off well. Like I'm thinking of like when they go to the World's Fair in the flashback, you see yep. the original concept for the Batmobile. You see like moment of happiness between them and then when they go back to the rundown world's fair now it's the joker's hideout and all that stuff it just really locks together really really well so shifting gears from an incredible batman film to maybe (laughs) not an incredible batman (laughs) film uh batman forever 1995 uh, directed by Joel Schumacher with Val Kilmer in the role as Batman Bruce Wayne. Yes. Uh, Chris O'Donnell is Robin. Jim Carrey's the Riddler. Tommy Lee Jones in a rare, uh, I guess at this point, you know, they recasted Batman. They recast uh, uh, Harvey Dent as well with uh, Michael Goff still still, still holding gone. strong. Yes. And then uh, Nicole Kidman as Dr. Chase Meridian. Ah, uh, yes, because she's chasing Batman. She's chasing oh, Batman's Oh, you... Yeah. You didn't. <laughs> it's true, that's <laughs> the only thing about that character. Okay, so, oh, don't forget um, Pat Hingle as, as, oh, yes. as Commissioner Gordon. The most ineffective the, Commissioner the Gordon ever. The most ineffective Commissioner Gordon, like, right up there next to, like, the 66 Gordon. At least yeah. he had the bat phone. It, and he becomes more ineffective as the movies go on. Because at <laughs> yeah. first he's like, well, you know, we're trying to figure things out. You know, we're working on it. And then Batman comes in and saves the day. 
And then by the the end, he's like, "Wow, Batman, you're here! I don't even know what's going on." (laughs) Okay, he's just another guy. And so this film, I thought was really interesting. I um I actually rewatched this like a week ago, and I was yeah, well, (laughs) I was surprised that it was not as bad as I remembered it being. Okay, okay, it's been a while since I've watched it. I will say, if he had. If he had actually like gotten some good material, Val Kilmer could have made an incredible Batman. Mm. Yeah, I, gosh, it's been a while since I've seen this one. Of of the four um, Burton Schumacher era films, I'm putting this one at the bottom. We'll really? About, yeah, and we'll talk about Batman and Robin in a minute. Yeah, but um, I just think this is uh, this misfires like all the time. Like I really don't like Val Kilmer as Batman. But he doesn't have a ton to do. I just he just feels a little um, made out of stone. Like I don't know. He's just not really doing a lot. He's just kind of like going through it, and there's not a lot going on. Um, Chris O'Donnell as 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 Robin is (laughs) the best. I don't even Robin we've gotten. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) well, because they because they did not cast. Because they didn't put Marlon Wayans on film in Batman Returns like they were supposed to. He would have been wonderful. Because you know that he was supposed to. And yeah, like and they never like brought him on, but he got paid for it, which is amazing. That's how you do it. That's how you <laughs> do it. Yeah. Sure, you can pay me not to be in your movie. Yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure they also did to Billy D. Williams. Yes. Say, we will pay you to not be in our movie. And I think it's so interesting when you think of Tommy Lee Jones and Billy D. Williams... Like, where is the correlation? <laughs> like, I try to think in my maybe it's because they both have three names. Like, oh, I yeah. like I don't know. Even Tommy if they had Bill. kept Billy D. Williams on, like, what would he have looked like in this film? Like next I've, to yeah. Jim Carrey, right? He would have felt very at odds with Carrey, I'm sure. Which apparently Tommy Lee Jones was behind the scenes. (laughs) I think the quote is, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. Uh, Like, Like, oh my God. But this was, I mean, this was Jim Carrey, like at the height of his Jim Carrey-ness. Right. Like he was like at the top of the world at this point. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's a bigger star than, um, than, than Val Kilmer here. And again, yeah. going with like the, the villains being like the the A listers in these movies again, you know, kind of right. stealing the thunder away from Batman to some degree, at least in all these these this era of films. And I just Tommy Lee Jones as 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 um as Two Face is super weird. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. He's kind of like to he Nicholson. wanted to. Yeah, he wanted to play the Joker, and they yeah. told him, "No, you're playing Two Face." And he's like, "Yeah, we'll see." Like another Batman villain, I'm sure he's like the Joker. Okay, let's go. You're paying me, right? And then when I was a kid, I was all in on Jim Carrey. You know, sure. uh, Ace Ventura, The Mask, Liar Liar. Like I loved those movies as a kid. Yeah. So I'm sure when I saw this movie, I was like still all in on him. And I don't know what happened, but I really just I'm all out on Jim Carrey now. <laughs> and, and now I watch it, and I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> I don't know. Well, what's and going I think on. to a to a certain respect, uh, Jim Carrey is out on Jim Carrey at this point. That's like true. he's he's in a weird spot. I don't know what's going on with him. No, I don't but, know. But you know, and as long as he's happy, I guess. Yeah, but, I like, hope so. This, 
this really, I think for me was um, formative because I remember seeing this in the theater as a kid. Yes, I saw this watch, in the Watching this and being like, oh, oh, so this is Gotham. So yeah. this is Batman. Because I will say... statues, giant Greek statues everywhere. Because <laughs> I will say, like, say what you will about Joe Schumacher, and we will. But, uh-huh. like, his Gotham is a marvel to look at. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. just all of the Greek-style statues, the skyscrapers that seemingly could not be actual buildings just yeah. on how they're constructed. Yeah. Like, and that's one of the things, talking about the Arkham games earlier, like, Arkham Knight to a certain respect mm-hmm. in certain areas is very Joel Schumacher Gotham. Yeah. And I love seeing that. Yeah. Cause I really yes. dig his design of Gotham overall, mm-hmm. just be- feeling like it was ripped straight out of a comic book in the nineties. It's very nineties. And I mean, if you look at comic books at that point, like um, nightfall or yep. um, uh, contagion, that's the one with the outbreak, right? Yes. Uh, or of course, it's right around um, No Man's Land, I no think. No Man's Land, like it's all like super huge and like outsized and flashy. And yeah, Batman's got the big, tight, molded, you know, bat suit and stuff like that. Like it's like it fits in. And then this is very much for all ages now, you know, yes. they're like, we don't want Batman Returns again, we don't want yeah. people getting mad at us, we want to make a movie that makes a lot of money that people aren't going to get mad about that we can keep making movies about and i mean that's what batman forever is yeah um oh you the um this this reminds me of this thing about the batmobile i was going to say that my favorite my other favorite batmobile was from uh the from mask of the phantasm which is the the animated series batmobile that that art deco super long squared edges style with the slide back opening it's so cool that that's that's awesome that and the the batman 89 are are my two favorites yeah and that that's anytime that i think of like the batmobile like that's what i think of Mm -hmm. um i don't know if I don't know if you've read the uh, the White Knight series by Sean Gordon Murphy. I, I read, yeah, I read what I read White Knight. I haven't read Curse of the White Knight. I would check it out. I would check it out. It's good stuff. But um, the, just the moment, like near the end of that first series, with just the cavalcade of Batmobiles. Yeah. As soon as I saw the animated series, I was yeah. like, "Yes, yeah, that's the one." And the, the, it does the Batmobile. Beat out... That one's cool too. The new yeah. one. Yeah, and it does beat out the '89 uh, Batmobile. Just from the sheer ability to make turns <laughs> without having <laughs> to right. shoot off this <laughs> grappling hook that they have to like, around and yeah. like, yeah, it's wild. Like you should, your car should be able to make a turn on its own, Bruce. <laughs> like, come on. Um, yeah. I do like the Batmobile in, in forever. It's got yes. the rib design with the glowing, um, HR Giger, who, who created the designs for alien, yeah. uh, created, a perspective batmobile for this one and his design was thrown out it was kind of this weird organic almost looked like an x so there would be two that came out in the front and then two in the back and together they made almost like a curvy x and they were more you know streamlined but it was very giger ish and so they threw that out but you can kind of see that in the batmobile for this movie with the openings and it feels a little bit more organic and the fin opens up I really like how it looks in this movie. Absolutely. It's pretty cool. It, I like the long, sleek design. Like, Batmobiles kind of have to be long. Um, yeah. And uh, I like that a lot. 
I kind of like the opening with the the boiling acid and in the the safe <laughs> yes. that's being flung around. Um, gosh, I don't know though. There's so much I don't like. I don't like Riddler's brain sucking thing and how he turns into some weird. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a god, and he's got yeah. the, he does the weird deep demon voice at the end. I'm like, what's going on? And then he murders Two Face. Because he yeah. murders them. He's like, I'm he, going to throw he, all these coins at you. He murders a lot of people across yeah. these, like, four films. Yeah. And it's so, it's so weird. Like, talking about that opening is so interesting to me because it almost feels like a different film. Mm-hmm. Like, it starts off very, like, all right, this is going to be kind of serious. We're getting this. And then you get that moment where Val Kilmer's in his bat suit, just full on, like, there he is. And he goes, I'll get drive through. And I remember watching that as a kid going, oh, so he's just a dude. He's not like it. And it throws you because, like you said, they don't give him a lot to do in this film. And it feels like they're pulling him in three different directions throughout. Um, I did see uh, this. And I think that part of the reason for that is this like deleted subplot. That they had for the film where it was like dealing with like his PTSD and remembering things wrong. The fact that he like he had his father's diary that Mm -hmm. talked about going to see Zorro and he had all this guilt. And then there's a point where I guess I remember uh, Two-Face like shooting him in the head. Mm -hmm. And then there was a point in the film apparently after this where he just has amnesia and he just forgets that he's Batman Yes. But then he finds the cave under the cave where you That's see right. like the sonar stuff and then you see the diary where he looks at it and he's like, oh, we went to Zorro because the parents went to Zorro, not because Bruce wanted to go. So this entire time he's been feeling guilty, like it's been mm-hmm. just made up. I think like if handled correctly, that could have been really compelling. Yeah, it would have given his character a lot more to, to grapple with. Besides, like, besides Nicole Kidman wanting to have sex yeah. with him, like that's kind of it. And then, yeah, and then there's that whole like in the delete scenes, he has like that. He sees the giant bat too. Yeah, this giant yeah. thing. Yeah, and it would have just given him more, but maybe, maybe the studio was like too much time on this. It's too dark. Like, get rid of it. Um, you need more Robin with motor gangs. Oh yes, fighting the <laughs> the neon splatter punks of Gotham City and all that sort of stuff. And I, I keep mixing up like what's in like this movie and what's in Batman and Robin when it comes to the <laughs> subplot. Because the Robin subplot in the next one is Batgirl and the yeah. motorcycle like race and that sort of stuff. But again, there's like neon people in both. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just. To me, there's so little that's memorable about Batman Forever. Fair. That you kind of just forget it. It's kind of like, whatever, this movie kind of exists. And the stuff that I do remember just kind of annoys me. Like <laughs> like, like the villains. And so it's yeah. like, all right. So that's why I, I, I think I have it down at the bottom. Well, then let's change gears and head into Batman and Robin in 1997, two years later. Uh, and now we have George Clooney as Batman. Um, mm. Apparently, Kilmer had a conflict with the movie The Saint and yes. couldn't yes. Uh, commit to the filming of this because they fast-tracked it. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick, do you think it was a good move getting Clooney into this film? 
He's not good. I mean, I don't know if he's again like a Kilmer is like a block of wood in forever. You're not and wrong. Clooney is like I guess I'm just George Clooney and like yes. I don't know like he does again he so so Clooney doesn't work as Batman like no. to me he just you would he, on paper you would think that he's a good Batman like it makes sense suave Savonaire yeah. looks that's good cute. in a suit he would make a great on paper Bruce Wayne and I think that's yeah. definitely what they casted him on because there's no right. way they're like let's put him in a bat cowl yeah and then just, there's not a lot there's he keeps saying like friend partner will you help me and it's just like that's the entire <laughs> thing and alfred's dying and it's just like so so bruce just i don't know like i don't know who's worse between the two because you got kilmer who could work and doesn't have a lot to do and then clooney that doesn't work but actually has a, a a more lot. fun a lot more stuff he's got some some stuff to sink his teeth into so it's like i don't know i don't know between these two well the villains, I think, were an interesting choice for this yes. film. A very um, interesting choice. Mr. Freeze, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who uh-huh. apparently at one point was supposed to be Patrick Stewart. Apparently huh. he was the person they were going to cast, but that then... actually they, works. Right? I thought so, too. And then apparently the studio was like, no, we got to jump on this Schwarzenegger thing. He said he's interested. So they <laughs> rewrote the role for him. <laughs> And I just, I, I don't know. I don't know, like, what the thought process was behind that. Like, I get, like, at this point, you know, Schwarzenegger's maybe a bigger star. Yeah, but... I mean, yeah, he's always, he's a bigger star than Patrick Stewart, obviously. One guy was in Predator and Terminator, and the other guy was in Star Trek. So, right. Right. I get but it. Pa- Patrick, but Patrick Stewart, that's like a really, that's like if you take the animated series Mr. Freeze... Mm-hmm. Who's the reason why anyone cares about that character? It's so true. <laughs> and you, you put him in live action. It's like, yeah, like Patrick Stewart would work really well. That's yeah. that's really good. <laughs> so besides Mr. Freeze, we have Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. Real bad. And, yeah, so bad. So bad. <laughs> but you know what? I think Uma Thurman is a fantastic actress. She's so fun. Mm-hmm. But they handicapped her right from the start with that costume the costume the makeup the hair they just did not give her any way to make this good leaf eyebrows leaf eyebrows and then we had robert swenson playing bane burn that's the only thing he says that's oh and it makes me so mad because i am a (laughs) diehard bane guy like bane is always like topping my list for batman villains Mm -hmm. and watching bane in this film and this might be because maybe I don't have like a connection to Two Face like I have like with Bane. Maybe yeah. that's why I like the villains of Batman Forever better. <laughs> um, this just is such a slap in the face to that character because <laughs> it's like, oh, is this guy named Diego was an inmate on death row, and now we're gonna involve him in this experiment, right? And he is turned into Bane. By the guy that plays Lex Luthor's father in Smallville, I'm blanking yes. the actor's name right now. Gosh. Who is playing? Who is playing Jason Woodrew, the Floronic the, Man? The Floronic Man, yes, Swamp Thing villain and Batman villain, the Floronic Man, and he and dies while, like you know right away. While I love the fact that they were like, we could have made this literally anyone. Yeah, let's make <laughs> this Jason Woodrew. There's a part of me that's just like, you follow up on that. 
Right. If you're going to make it Jason Woodrue, like, do something with him. You could have replaced Bane with the Floronic Man. It would have been no less ridiculous. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been. Um, it's it's super ridiculous. Um, I guess during filming, whenever they're about to roll on a scene, you know, they go, okay, are you ready? And Schumacher would go, and remember, everyone, this is a cartoon and action. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, he said that the, the, the studio was like, we need it to be, quote, toyetic. It needs to be uh, toyetic. Yeah. It needs to be turned into toys. That's why they have their multiple bat suits. Yeah. With the, is it the sonar bat suit where it's with the extra His is ribbing, the frost, one, frost bat suit? Yeah. All the different vehicles, um, the different costume changes. You know what? That just reminded me that Poison Ivy has gloves. That have fake um, red nails on the end. Yes, sewed on the end of the gloves. Yeah, and all this sort of stuff. And like, oh my gosh. And, and, and Freeze is all like glittery. And of course, he's huge like Schwarzenegger, but he's supposed to be playing a scientist. And there's all sorts of stuff. And it's super insane. There's the scene. Is it the beat? So it kind of opens like Batman Forever, which has the opening again with a heist. Yes. And this is with, and, and, um, uh, like the Natural History Museum, or right? Something. And Schwarzenegger's already freeze. Yes, and he jumps in. He's got his giant freeze tank, and then it shoots up in the air, and they go off, and then they uh, like surf, surf down the doors down, pour the doors down, and super wild. This also re- <laughs> reminds me that there's a scene in Batman Forever where you get a the the there's the TV news clip of um, Tommy Lee Jones being splashed with the acid. Yeah, and they the cut folder. to Batman. And ba- they cut to Batman, and Batman's in the crowd, and he's in his full Batman costume. He's just jumping over the the aisle. He's, like, oh, he's no. like in the jury box. Like yeah. they had him be a juror. Like how do you? Yeah. <laughs> how is he impartial? Yeah, you, you even think about it for a second. You're like, why is Batman in the courtroom <laughs> dressed up as Batman in plain sight? But anyway, so they do all that because they do the same kind of thing again. It's already in motion. The villains are already the villains. It's like, you know what? I don't need to see the villain origins in every movie. Like, let's let's do the thing. Let's keep going. Like, that's that's good for, by me. It's a complete cartoon. It's it's also an an uh an ice capade at certain points. Yes. The entire first like quarter of this is absolutely just an ice capade. <laughs> it it it's wild, it's stupid. It's it's not a good movie by any no. means, but it's really really entertaining. It's really, really wild. It is as big and colorful as a Batman movie has ever been. It's it's crazier than Batman 66. It's taking bigger swings than Batman 66. And maybe to me, because of that, and because we've just turned into like drab Batman for like the rest <laughs> of time, like I like it. I'm like, this is, this movie kind of rules, actually. Yeah. It's it's definitely different. And it did give us enough ice puns to last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. the entire first scene, all of his dialogue is just ice puns. Everybody chill. Yeah, oh, cool yeah. party. Like, <laughs> just the See, dumbest puns. Actually, but, this like, movie might be objectively good. <laughs> if you don't I, like it, I understand. I totally understand. I, I can see it, it, it's so funny. I was watch. I watched um, Patrick Willem's video on this. Yeah, and yeah. that. 
right. That turned me around on some of it. <laughs> but there are some things that I can just not, I just can't look past the bat credit card. Oh, I yeah. can't Never look past, <laughs> I can't look past Alfred becoming this weird AI Alfred at the end. Oh, yeah. Pretty good. I can't look past the weird, like, they were like, oh, we're totally going to do a Poison Ivy origin, and it's going to be just as good as Catwoman. Just uh, watch. <laughs> just like the, the prosthetic lips. Like, there are certain oh, things about this yes. movie that I just, I can't. Rubber lips I, will prevent me from feeling your charms <laughs> or something like that. Um, the only thing in this movie, so most of these things, you know, there's that cycle of, like, when turn, things turn bad, and then they're bad, and then they're really bad, and then they start to become so bad they're good most of it to me most of this movie turns the corner the only thing that doesn't turn the corner is alicia silverstone as batgirl yes I think she stays bad she's just planted firmly in bad the entire time well and she's still like pretty firmly in clueless mode where she's just like i'm just here yeah. i'm alicia silverstone i'm yes. not barbara gordon they made the weird choice to make her Alfred's like niece, right? Slash yeah. granddaughter. It's never really explicitly stated. Uh, She's yeah, just related. I yeah, I don't even know if they say her last name. Yeah, it's she's Barbara. just Barbara. This is Barbara. <laughs> she'll be she'll be joining you on the team now. Um, but it's like I guess I guess she has no formal training, but sure, we'll just throw her out there. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's funny. All four of these movies. This is also making me think of all four of these movies end pretty stylishly. Mm -hmm. There's a final super stylish shot. Batman '89 ends with him looking up at the bat signal for the first yeah. time. Super cool. As it, you know, pan, the camera pans up that super tall building and you see him perched on the gargoyle looking yeah. at the bat signal. Super cool. Um, Batman Returns ends with um, Catwoman rising up and you see her from behind because she's actually a, an animatronic um, <laughs> looking at she actually is apparently that was an animatronic that they had to use no they way yeah they couldn't get michelle pfeiffer back so they had to make this life and no one else had her same silhouette in the the cat suit so they made an animatronic to do that and it, but it looks so good and her like yeah. rising up and looking at the bat signal it's like that's such a perfect way to end that movie um and then Batman Forever ends with him and Robin, now a team, and they're running toward the camera yeah. with the bat signal behind them. And then Batman, uh, Batman, yeah, Batman Forever, and then Batman and Robin ends with those two and Batgirl, and they're running toward the camera with the bat signal behind them because they're like, we're going to keep making movies, right? Yeah. It's like, no, no, you're not going to keep, keep making movies. Like, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that brings us into the 2000s with Batman Begins in 2005, man. Like, this. You want to talk about like a shift in tone, like everybody mm -hmm. going, all right, all that stuff, we're putting that box over there and we're <laughs> opening up a new box. Yes. Um, Brand new. Christ yeah. Christopher Nolan directs Christian Bale's Batman. Michael Caine is Alfred. Liam Neeson, Rachel Ghoul, uh, Cillian Murphy is Scarecrow. Like Gary Oldman is Gordon Morgan. This mm -hmm. is an all star cast. Yes, absolutely. That's like, one of the strong suits of the movie. Yeah. Is the cast. The cast is incredible. And this was really like a back to basics, like we are going to pare this down, make this as realistic. And I'm using quotations uh, yeah. for, for the audio. Like it's it's so interesting that they took such a direct left turn and they're like, we're going to make this as if it was real world Batman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and so what well, this is it what when was Batman and Robin? Ninety eight? Ninety seven. Ninety seven. So this is almost yeah, a full decade. Almost mm-hmm. a full decade between the two, right? Um because it needed a hard reset because everyone said like Batman and Robin killed Batman, you know. George yeah. Clooney, I think, was like, I'm the man that killed Batman. Yeah. Um, that poor guy. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> Yeah, like you needed a hard reset just with time. And I know they had multiple, like, so they almost did a follow up to Batman and Robin. Right. Is Triumphant. Triumphant or Dark Knight. There was like two names and it was going to have like um, Harley Quinn and the Scarecrow. Yeah. Who's going to be played by Coolio? Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah. He was, Um, he was actually, he was in Batman and Robin. That's right. He's one of the, the, the neon gang or something. Yeah, and he's listed as Jonathan Crane, and they're like, yeah, oh, Coolio's no. going to be Scarecrow. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, <laughs> that retroactively makes Batman and Robin worse. <laughs> um, but they almost did that, and then, then again, it didn't do well, so they like, shut it down. And then Darren Aronofsky almost did Batman Year One. That uh, but it was going to be... But it would have been also completely different from actual Batman Year One. It would have been like almost unrecognizable as Batman from everything yeah. they said. It was like junkyard, like with yeah. big owl or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And he has a ring that he punches people with and kind of looks <laughs> like a bat. So that's why he's Batman. It's like super weird. I don't know. I'm glad that didn't happen. Agreed. And then, so this finally happens. And of course this is also pulling a lot from Batman year one. Right. Sure. And Batman year one and um, dark Knight returns are, the movie are the the big formative comics that come out just a few years before Tim Burton's Batman '89, and they like darken Batman significantly, and, and oh, and also Killing Joke comes out in that time too. Absolutely. So like those are the big things that let Burton do what he does with Batman, mm-hmm. but he kind of is like, let me take the essence and just do my Burton thing, and yeah. this is like major taking from like Batman Year One, and I I love Batman Year One. It's an amazing comic. It's so good. Um, I, I like it more than uh, Dark Knight Returns, um, personally. I I, I would agree with that, I think. Yeah. Thinking about it, because I think they're both like legendary status. Yes. But I think the treatment of it and almost making it a Gordon story as much mm-hmm. of a Batman story mm-hmm. is like, yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree that it's better than Dark Knight Returns. But I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. I, I like hearing your opinion on it, too, because everyone has their own opinions. Um <laughs> And I, to, I mean, to me personally, like I like um, personal Batman. Like it doesn't have to be grounded, but like more like internally focused Batman than like big operatic Batman. Yeah. Um, noir Batman versus superhero Batman. Yes. So like that's why I like Year One uh, more than Dark Knight Returns, and that's also why I like Batman Begins the most out of these three Nolan movies. I was gonna say the same thing. Like awesome. I think this is so. Like, this is the purest, like, Batman film out of yeah. all three of them, really. Yeah, out of every, um, besides Mask of the Phantasm, out of out of everyone, it, Batman Begins is the most pure Batman film. Yeah, and it's so interesting to me, because, like, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of love gets thrown, and, I mean, for a good reason, to The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think this, because this really was a, um, a sink or swim moment. Like yeah. either this does well or we just go back to the drawing board with this. And I think they really were firing on all cylinders to make sure that this was as good as they could make it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then it also didn't 
Um, so if I'm remembering correctly, Batman Begins did all right, like at the theater, like it turned a profit, did well. Yeah. But like, I think people were still kind of cautious about um, about going back to Batman in the movies. Right. And it teed up Dark Knight, which was a billion dollar movie. Yeah. And it was huge. And like, it was one of the first to cross a billion and made all sorts of things possible um, for Nolan and Batman on film and superhero movies in general. But like people were still a little like cautious with Batman Begins. But I remember I saw this twice in theaters when it came mm-hmm. out because I was like, I'm all in, you know, after everything, I'm ready for Batman to be back on screen. I'm yeah. excited for this movie. And it, it blew me away. It was, it was I thought it was incredible. And I'd seen a few of Nolan's movies before this. I saw I'd seen Memento. Um, I think I'd seen Insomnia before it. So I was familiar with him already. Yeah. And then with this, it was like, it just blew me away because it was like really everything that I wanted. And just it, it's it is, yeah, quote unquote, grounded Batman. Right. But it has enough, I don't know, it feels like a legend coming to life to some degree, right? Like, this Absolutely. is the legendary origin. This is how someone becomes a myth. Like, that's like a big part of the movie, you know? How right. do you be, turn from man to myth? And, like, there's just scenes in the movie. Like, the, the soundtrack is incredible, too. So the, good. Um, it's uh, Zimmer and, um, why am I blanking on who he... He did it with. I'm looking it up right now. Um, James Newton Howard. They yes. co-created the soundtrack for this and Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, they worked together. Newton Howard was like, I'll do all the, the human, like the normal Bruce Wayne stuff. And Zimmer yeah. will do the Batman stuff. And together you get this like blending. And it's got this great like feel to it. And, and, and um, there's the... You know, there's the moment when he becomes Batman and like he, he attacks the crew and he announces himself. But then right after that is the he's, there's the sweeping aerial shot of him standing on a gargoyle, like overlooking Gotham. Yeah. Gotham, you know, looks like a real city. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get this legendary figure like overlooking it. And like, I love how like dark and shadowy the cinematography is in this movie compared to the other ones which are kind of like blown out and more realistic looking right you know and also batman begins was largely shot on a set so they make Mm -hmm. this whole set like the narrows so it also feels a little bit more heightened everything is like wet and grimy and it feels like dirty and and then you get the contrast with like wayne manor and like Wayne Enterprises, and you sort of see this dichotomy of the city, and then Batman, sort of Bruce Wayne being exposed to that, and sort of all this stuff, and the way that he's changing. And Christian Bale's amazing as Batman. So good. He, he gets, but he gets, again, we're talking about like actors actually given material. Yes. He gets a lot of material here. Absolutely. He gets a lot of material compared, especially compared to the other ones. And, and I, I absolutely agree with that. I've always kind of said that the Nolan trilogy is really more of a Bruce Wayne story than a Batman story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Just because this is really, you follow his path from beginning to end, more or less. Yeah. And it's really about Bruce Wayne finding himself and finding closure. And that's yep. what the story is. It really isn't like, all right, Batman adventures, let's go do this. <laughs> and I, I kind yeah. of like that they decided to take that, that kind of take on it because we hadn't seen that before. And I yeah. like watching his journey going and, you know, wanting to shoot 
Joe Chill, like mm-hmm. throwing mm-hmm. his gun out into the harbor, like him going to learn from the League of Assassins, or I guess the League of Shadows in this. Um, and Liam Neeson is Rachel Ghoul, man. Yeah, he's, he's great. so good. He's yeah. so good. And I really also liked the Scarecrow. As yeah, minimal he as he too. was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As minimal as he was, getting an actor like Cillian Murphy who really like dives in with both feet on this character. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so yeah. fun without it's it being great. campy. Yes, absolutely. And and he just he 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 becomes the scarecrow enough to so he really is that. And some of the frustrations I have with like comic book movies around this era mm-hmm. is like they're a little too afraid to like dip their toes in the actual comic book. Yes. Like the, the X-Men have to wear like leather outfits <laughs> or like Bullseye and Daredevil can't put on a costume or stuff like that. And with this is like, hey, we got we everyone. Everyone's like wearing their stuff and doing their thing and actually becoming the character. And we're just kind of like tamping it down just a little, you know, yeah. it's just we got like a little we're, we've got the realism filter on it, um, mm-hmm. but it's not xing out like all the stuff that makes these characters like exciting and colorful and interesting right and yeah neeson is racial ghouls like really great and he's got the two sides of like being like ducard and being racial ghoul and like you can see why like bruce connects with him and then why bruce has to like fight against him and it's it's really great and yeah the cast is super strong um i think the tumbler is really cool as the batmobile like it's a really sure. it's a good statement on like what the what the movie is trying to be um here is the batmobile but it is a military vehicle um it can do all these crazy things but it has a reason for being that it's not just something that bruce is like made from scratch like in the in the bat cave and stuff like that it's like yeah it's, it's really cool and um michael kane as alfred is awesome um <laughs> he's like a really strong part of all these movies he's like he's kind of just the I don't know, he's coming in at just the right times, you know, in every movie, and he's mm-hmm. really, really, like, hitting the note just right every time that he's needed. He's, like, a really, he's, like, he's kind of the MVP to some degree. I would um, say so, yeah. yeah. He's it's, he's absolutely Bruce's rock throughout the entire trilogy. Yeah. Um, And he really, he's always, I mean, the scene where Bruce is pinned under the rafter with Wayne Manor burning around him, and, yeah. like, Alfred shows up, lifts mm-hmm. it off of him and they have that conversation afterwards in the back oh, yes. where he's like you yes. still haven't given up on me and yeah. he goes never like that's bruce and alfred yeah like it's so it's so great without it ever feeling put on which yeah, i think absolutely. is a problem for certain batman films in the past yeah yeah the i like michael goff as as alfred in the other movies but mm-hmm. He's more there for like a little bit of a punchline, you know, Vichy Swab, Master Wayne and stuff like that. (laughs) And like, it's fun. It's like a side of Alfred, but it's not the the full picture of Alfred. And here, Michael Caine's really giving you like everything that makes the character important. He's telling you, telling you like why this character has been around for as long as Batman's been around. Like he's a really, really important aspect of it. Yeah. And I think that can also be said about Gary Oldman as james gordon like, oh he's so good yeah this so really good. is my preferred version of jim gordon like we've had so many versions of that character throughout the years yes and this one talking about uh batman year one this one kind of feels the closest to the spirit of that jim gordon for sure where he's you know he's a little jaded 
obviously mm-hmm. working in Gotham. Like, how could you not be? Yeah. But he still has that um, that drive in him to do what's right, even if he doesn't know exactly what to do. Yes, he's he's kind of lost. He's a good guy in this terrible city with these corrupt cops. And he's like, well, what do I do? And he's got his family. And yeah, linking up with Batman finally kind of gives him the, the, the purpose, too. Which is great. Sure. It's awesome for the character. And yeah, he's very much like year one. Um, I like Gordon in the animated series also. Absolutely. But a lot of times, like, Gordon is kind of like another person for Batman to talk to, right? Like, there's <laughs> yeah. like, the polls are like, you've got Alfred, and you've got Gordon, and you've got Batman as the man of action. You've got these two wise figures for him to talk to and kind of bounce off of. But here's Gordon actually taking action also. And then it also makes sense why when um, uh, DC rebooted with the new 52, um, which was in the midst of all these Nolan movies, they de-aged yeah. Gordon. Which and I like, actually liked. Yeah, I like it too. And he's still younger. Given like yeah. everything that's happened with DC and all their weird continuity and everything, <laughs> like they've kept Gordon younger. So he can still go out and actually like do stuff. Absolutely. And I'm I'm personally a big fan of like Capullo, like redheaded Gordon running around. Yeah, yeah like, the, I, the super I really, heavy, super heavy Gordon as Batman is pretty interesting. I love that. That's yeah. that's one of my favorite Batman stories when it comes to like New 52 comics. I was yeah. a big fan, like say what you will about Bat Bunny, like the bunny robot, like that's fine. Yeah. But like when he like steps out of the mech and he's in his own like batman costume and he's got his gun that actually like shoots out mini batarangs for some reason like (laughs) it's ridiculous it's dumb but it's like okay this is a clear like evolution of the character yeah i think it's really interesting it's really cool and it makes sense given everything that they've done with that and like and then when that happened is like this is a this is a big swing we'll see like how it works but it works really well it's a, it, 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 I've been meaning to do a video on that arc. Actually, oh my God. It's really interesting. Yeah. I, I would, I would watch that 20,000 times. Like, <laughs> it's, it's so, it's so, so good. Yeah. Um, but talking about big swings, Dark Knight, 2008. Um, yes. big swing with, Heath Ledger as the Joker. Nobody was behind this when they announced it. Yeah. There yeah. was a lot like we talk about the um the Michael Keaton backlash. Like this mm-hmm. was worse because at this point we had the internet. Yes. <laughs> and those first and I I got to admit like I looked I looked up those uh, initial like promo images and they yeah. are not good. They are not good. They've got him like on this all white background and he's just like he's like not totally sure about his movements as the Joker yet. And it looks bad. Yeah. So there's those old images of him like on the set and like the full costume test. Mm -hmm. But if I'm remembering correctly, the very first time they ever showed him as the Joker was just a really close cropped image of his face. And it was all black, heavy shadow. I'm sure you could look it up. And you see his mouth and the makeup and everything. And you you see all the scars and everything. And it's a really, like, creepy image of him. And this was released, like, after the very... I remember the the trailer for Dark Knight, the very first one. So good. Is just the bat symbol, 
like breaking apart, right? Like the the light shooting behind it, and it's kind of fraying, and specks are flying off, and you yeah. just hear like clips. You just you're just hearing like dialogue clips of like you know you hammered them, and they turn to someone that didn't know, and then you hear him as as the Joker finally, and his laugh, and it's like oh my gosh, like okay, what what's going on? <laughs> like yeah, yeah, and that's an interesting way because yeah, people were totally like dubious of it everyone was like oh the broke back mountain guy is gonna be the joker and all sort of <laughs> stuff and it's just like this is we're talking like the heights of like mid-2000s homophobia mixed with like oh, yeah. toxic fan culture burgeoning on the internet it's like of course people are gonna like be mad about this stuff but i mean the performance speaks for itself right like it's Absolutely. what if what what can what more can be said about like heath ledger as the joker that hasn't been said already it's like it's such an incredible performance. It's such a, like a specific performance too. His like the way he's like enunciating everything. He's got his like dark voice, you know, and yeah, like all like... the sort of stuff. And he's like chewing his words and he's like licking his lips and the inside of the scars. And he's, he's like, he never smiles. Um, and yeah, but he's, he's, he's very makeup unique. being, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that, the one like negative I would say I have for that version of the Joker is something you touched on, which like he doesn't smile. Like there's a there's a feeling that I don't feel like he's as the Joker, like ever having fun. It's right. all very like calculated. Like he talks about like I don't have a plan, and it's like you're a liar because you yeah. clearly have plans have on these... plans. It takes a while to set up drums of explosives yeah! under a hospital. And... <laughs> To get caught and to plan a bomb and a guy and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. A lot of plans. There's a lot but of plans. He absolutely put his own stamp on that character just as much as I feel like Christian Bale put his stamp on Batman. Yes. And it's so interesting looking back on it and looking back at the numerous Jokers we've now had in live action. Mm-hmm. And the, fa- the fact is, like, all of them are so unique from each other. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. Like, say what you will about, you know, the performances for, you know, Nicholson, Romero, even, I mean, Leto and mm-hmm. uh, Phoenix. Like, yeah. but they're all so different from each other. And I yes. love that. It, yeah, I'm I'm really glad about that, too. It's like, here's another person playing the Joker. Okay, what, what are they going to do? And it, thankfully, it's always, like, consistently different. I think that it is, it is super interesting to watch. For sure. And, and um... Unlike some of the the other movies, the the Burton movies, like Ledger is giving this amazing performance and he really like controls like the screen when he's on. But sure. the movie's really well balanced. Absolutely. Like he's not like the the because like even with Batman eighty nine, like I mean Burton clearly cares more about the Joker than Batman even then too. <laughs> yeah. And here it's like it's a very very nice balance. And um, I remember Nolan saying that. He wanted the Joker in Dark Knight to be like the shark in Jaws. He's a force of nature. You don't understand him. He just is. He doesn't really change. He doesn't have really an arc. He's just a force of nature cutting through Gotham, and everyone else is changed by him. And like, oh, that's so cool. All the characters' trajectories are like knocked into their courses by the Joker. And they all have a moral decision to make in Dark Knight. And they all have to make it by the end. You know, like Bruce taking the blame for for Dent. Or Dent becoming Two-Face. 
or uh, Rachel saying, you know, that she's not going to choose Bruce or Alfred burning the letter or Gordon choosing to continue to blame Batman to cover it up for Dent um, or, you know, um, Lucius, you know, sort of making these decisions with like the, the sonar stuff, like everyone yeah. has is forced into making a moral choice because the Joker. Right. And it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's Absolutely. really, really interesting. Well, and speaking of which, um, Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent, like oh, this was, this was so good. And he, we get to see that transformation of Harvey Dent into Two-Face. Yes. And I remember like watching the movie for the first time and Two-Face is gross, man. Like they, super they, gross. they really went all in on like how realistically like the scarring would affect him. Yeah. Like even down to like his breathing, mm-hmm. like after he becomes Two-Face, it's so like labored and he's like, he has to push every single time he says a line. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Yeah, and they also hit it, you know, going into the movie. They didn't show mm-hmm. what he looked like at all. I think they they only, like, really kind of, like, started to show little bits of him as Two-Face. Not showing his face, but showing him doing certain things, like, a week before the movie came out. Like, it was yeah. like, is he going to become Two-Face? I don't know. And, I, <laughs> and, like, I know the original plan was that he would be turned into Two-Face in, like, the third movie. Yeah. Originally was what they were thinking, and then they changed that. Like maybe there was an early draft of the script they had like that, but they they changed it, and they gave him his full arc. And like maybe the character, like maybe his full two, like Two Face as a villain, maybe gets short changed in the movie. But it's mm. a lot more than that. Like you were saying, how the arc of the Nolan movies is Bruce's story and not Batman's story. This the arc of Dent in um in Dark Knight isn't Two Face's story; it's it's Dent's story. So him becoming Two Face is like part of the arc, right? It's like the decisions right. he makes and who he becomes. So when he dies at the end, it's like we have the complete arc of the character. He's become who he's become. He's made the decisions that he's made. I'm sorry that he's not going to be Two Face for another like five movies, but yeah. that's it is what it is. Like because he's a complete character in this movie. Well, and I mean they missed out on the chance of having Batman be a juror to jump out and <laughs> oh no see- Harvey <laughs> put up your folder <laughs> so dumb. Oh, acid. <laughs> um, but uh but yeah I, I absolutely agree like they really um and I I definitely heard about like I guess uh, the third Nolan movie was supposed to be like the trial of the Joker, and he would turn into the two fa- turn into Two Face, and I kind of like the way that they did it. Like it does feel like we could have gotten a little bit more time with Two Face as Two Face, mm-hmm. but for what they did and the rhythm and the flow of the film, I think it works really well. Very strong character arcs for everyone in the movie. Very mm-hmm. strong structure for the entire movie. It almost has four acts. And like, and like, cause like the truck chase is almost like the climax that you would think it was going, going to be the climax of the movie, but it continues on and has more to say. And yeah, it's really interesting. It, it's maybe the last few years has gotten a bit of a, I don't know, pushback finally after a decade of everyone just like praising it consistently. But it's an it's an amazing movie. I was blown away by the movie when I saw it in theaters. Because I mean, 
Batman Begins came out, and I was like, this is incredible. Like, this is, I'm so happy when this came out. And when Dark Knight came out, I was like, this is like the greatest thing ever. Like, like, <laughs> and like, maybe, like, my opinion on it's been tempered a little bit now. Because mm-hmm. um, I just, I really like how Bat, the, I just really like the personal focus of Batman Begins and the style. But like, Dark Knight is amazing. Like, anyone that's saying like Dark Knight, oh, it's a bad movie, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't know. I think you're just being like contrarian just to like get attention. But, um, but it's great, and I'm not super crazy on Gotham being turned into Chicago. Oh, it is absolutely it is not even Gotham anymore. By the no, time, it's... by the time uh, the Dark Knight comes around, and even less so in Dark Knight Rises. And now it's suddenly, it's suddenly Manhattan in Dark yeah. Knight Rises. It's and it's just another city. Yeah, it's like and now it's this one. Now it's this one, and they're not even covering it up. The, like <laughs> the iconic Chicago iconic Chicago buildings are in shots in in Dark Knight. And yeah. it's like everything but um, the Statue of Liberty in Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> so and true. like, and we'll get to Dark Knight Rises in a second. But th- those sorts of things, kind of like I don't know, we could, we could be gra- we could be doing strong, like a stronger, like just a stronger characterization of the city here, um, like we were in Batman Begins. Yeah, and I think that some of Batman's best stories work even better when Gotham is a character. Yeah, like, yeah, for say- sure. Like, say what you will, and plenty of people have about Joker, but there was something about that Gotham mm-hmm. that, to me, felt like Gotham. It felt like a character in itself. And yeah. that was something that was also in, arguably, the, uh, you know, Batman Forever and the Schumacher films. Like, yeah. Gotham felt like it was something, not just yes. like, oh, I could, you know, drive five hours and I'll, I'll be at Gotham. Like, yeah. it felt like this other world city that was like, wow, this is a this is a city that, of course, they have somebody running around on the rooftops. Yeah, yeah. It's its own thing. And maybe that's what no one's going for. Dark Knight being a morality tale about any city, about, like, modern America, about, like, a post-9-11, like, United States. Mm-hmm. And that this could be happening in any sort of major metropolitan city now. Yeah. I mean, he totally... Like so, I know that when he made Batman Begins, he he said that the major inspiration for it was Blade Runner, mm-hmm. and he made the cast and crew watch Blade Runner before they started production. He was like, "This is uh, like our approach to Batman as Blade." Oh, Runner. interesting. And you can kind of feel it in like the the way that the city feels, mm-hmm. and in Dark Knight, it's very very much Heat. Michael Mann's yes. Heat. The the, Absolutely op- it is. the opening um, robbery, which is so awesome. I saw I Am Legend in, in, in I saw I Am Legend in IMAX just to watch the opening, few, <laughs> like five minutes, because they're like, we're showing the opening five minutes of Dark Knight in IMAX before I Am Legend. Come see it, and it's also shot in IMAX. And it was like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is so great. And I Am Legend is a very whatever movie, um, but. <laughs> It's but right. it's very heat. But the the opening and everything in it is very heat. The whole like the duality and the obsession of the the cop stand in and the criminal stand in like coming together. And Heat's one of my favorite movies ever. I love it. And the whole like the Michael Mann intensity focused on process and the city becoming sort of the this major like teeming backdrop for the two yeah. is like is really there in Dark Knight. And then in Dark Knight Rises, it's Nolan is getting a paycheck. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so Dark Knight Rises 2012, um, 
it, this was absolutely not the film that Nolan wanted to make. Oh, no, and it's no. so yeah. obvious. It's so yeah. obvious. But it's I I still think I mean, I would say it's probably it's definitely the weakest of the three. Mm-hmm. But I still there are things in it that I really like. I like Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. Yes. I She's like very uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt even as John Robin Blake. <laughs> like it's yes. so dumb, but like it's good. And then I would say the most polarizing piece of it is Tom Hardy's Bane. Like, yes, I like I like I like Tom Hardy's Bane. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. I, I like him. Um, I lo- I love Tom Hardy. He's like my yes. favorite working actor today. Oh, he's incredible. He's incredible. He takes like such interesting choices and he's always like pushing himself and he's doing such interesting things consistently. Maybe he's a little too weird sometimes, but he's really <laughs> good. And um, the casting is, is like we said before, it's super strong in every single Nolan movie. It's like there's really not a wrong choice made when it comes to any sort of casting in any of these movies. I can't really point out um, any wrong choice. I even think like the guy that plays Joe Chill in Batman Begins is like awesome He's as perfect. Joe Chill. He's just gross enough yeah. that it's like, oh yeah, it's a skeevy dude. I'm sorry for what I did. That doesn't, that doesn't make, <laughs> make it, it happen any different. A lot of people did bad things back then. <laughs> it's, like, um, it's like, is that an apology? I don't uh, know what that is. <laughs> or, oh, um, what's his name? I'm blanking on his name who plays Falcone back in Batman Begins. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um... Oh, that's going to bother me. I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, okay. Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson. Yes. Or Rutger Hauer as like the, uh, yeah, it's like all, and again, it's like all these little choices. They're so good. Um, yeah. And the the casting is also strong in Dark Knight Rises. Like it, it's, it. I like what they're going for. Um, I just think that, the, yeah, you're what you were saying is Nolan didn't want to make the movie. Nolan yeah. didn't want to make the movie, but they were like, because like he kept going back and forth, right? Like, <laughs> One for yeah. me, one for the studio, one for me, one for the studio. And this yeah. was very much like definitely one for the studio. Absolutely. And you can tell like with the amount of like, oh, let's introduce a new Batwing. Let's, you know, bring in all right. these new characters. Let's bl- It's so weird looking. Big box. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, what if we made the Tumblr fly? But it's yeah. like the Tumblr, I think, is a cool concept for a Batmobile. And I think bat, it's really interesting. Yeah. And the bat pod is really cool. Yes. That was a great, like, oh, this was in here the whole time, and you didn't yeah. know. Like, that yeah. was a cool reveal. But then showing off, what was it? It was called The Bat, I, I think. That, now, if that's not indicative of how lazy the ideas yeah. behind the movie were, I don't know what is. You were the so bat. right. It's like, just The Bat. And it's it's so like you can feel the strain on Nolan. Like with every yeah. scene, it's like, all right, man. Like I tried my best, but I just I'm not. My heart's not in it. And, yeah, absolutely. Which is unfortunate because I think like the film has a lot of stuff to say that's really interesting. Like 2012, mm-hmm. you know, was the height of the you know um, Occupy the Wall the Street. Ninety nine percent versus the one percent. All that. Yeah. Stuff. And I think bringing that in was really cool, but I don't, they missed the perfect opportunity to really nail that. And that's that Bruce Wayne is part of the 1%. Yeah. And they could have done this whole thing about him dealing with that and kind of this yeah. grassroots, like Bane, you know, could be the Batman for the poor people. And it's like mm-hmm. something that I don't think is talked about enough. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's like the, the, the ideas are like sprinkled on top, right? Yeah. Here's some social relevancy on top, but then it doesn't really get played into. So then mm-hmm. it becomes a weird idea of like, well, you know, all of a sudden, like if Bane is leading the 99% and Bane is the villain and Bruce Wayne is the 1% who has to save Gotham, then it means that the 1% are actually correct and the 99% yeah. are wrong. And you're like, what are we talking about here? And I don't even think they necessarily thought about that. It's no. just kind of, it's just kind of like an idea sprinkled in there. Um, Nolan has this thing; he's got this weakness, in my opinion. Is a lot of move. The rule of movies are show, don't tell. Right? Yes. Something happens, put it on screen. Make make it happen. Don't just say something happened. And I feel like some he kind of has a little bit too much tell, don't show in his movies. Like, this kind of happens. Every so often, like, these scenes kind of don't fit together. And something says, like, oh, by the way, something kind of happened. And, like, this kind of happened off screen. Or this kind of happened here. And, yeah. like, in Dark Knight Rises, it's it's like it's happening a lot. They're like, oh, Bane, Bane's plan is this, 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 and this. Oh, by the way, I'll, I did all this sort of stuff. And when you weren't looking and you weren't around, the camera wasn't on me, this happened. And then I did this here and all this sort of stuff happened. And anyway, we got to go over here now. And like <laughs> the movie's like really long and it, it still feels like it's not long enough to like cover everything. Right. And like at the end of Dark Knight, when he's like running off, he's like, oh, we'll hunt him. He's Dark Knight and sort of stuff. You're like, oh, man, what's going to happen with Batman? Yeah. Now he's got to be Batman while the police are hunting him. And instead he just retired. Yeah. For eight for, years. For eight years. And it's like. That's what happened. <laughs> it's like so. So Batman was basically Batman for a year and a couple days altogether. At the end, yeah, he comes back for a day in the middle of Dark Knight Rises, and he comes back again for another day at the very end of Dark Knight Rises, and it's like, oh, what's going on? And you got this weird, like it's like it's No Man's Land meets Nightfall meets Dark Knight Returns. Throw them all together, yeah. and it's not really. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's it, it. It really is just too many too many ideas trying to comp- trying to be compressed into one film, and yeah. it you know in a way, and I, it kind of hurts me to make this comparison, but it's like Amazing Spider-Man two, oh, where they were yeah. like, oh. you know, let's just push in all of these characters, like the birth <laughs> of Electro. Oh, Harry Osborn's been a thing this whole time. Now we're doing Death of Gwen Stacy. Like it's yeah. this. Oh cavalcade of like hey let's just throw everything in here because it'll you know people who know will know right right mm-hmm. and yeah, you it got just... it uh, I remember. <laughs> yeah. and it's it really um the film just feels flat in that way though i will say that bane theme that they came up with for oh this, yeah, the, yeah it get it still gets me pumped like you yeah. hear it as the drums and the chanting it's so cool yeah, it's it's really cool. Again, the music's super strong. Um, the music is strong in Dark Knight, also the the mm-hmm. that whining electric cello for the Joker, yeah. and Harvey's theme that kind of turns from like melodic, like and like this, like almost like um, I don't know. It, it feels like epic and positive, and then it like turns to like dark for for Harvey, and then yeah, for here, um, Bane's chanting and the drumming, and then how that also turns into the chanting in the pit. Yeah. It's like really interesting too. It adds a lot to the character. So like even when like Bane's just like walking along and slowly walking towards someone, you just see his like feel his presence and you get that going behind him. It's like this guy's like really intimidating. It's a it's really 
good with that. And yeah, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 comparison is really strong. <laughs> the only thing that it has over Amazing Spider-Man 2 is that Dark Knight Rises is, this is the end. We're over. The, the story <laughs> has come to a close. And Amazing Spider-Man 2 is like, guess what? We've got all these movies coming. Uh, aren't you excited for Sinister 6 and Amazing Spider-Man 3 and 4 and the Aunt May Secret Spy the spinoff? Aunt May Spy spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> It's and, st- it still hurts. Yeah. It still hurts thinking oh, about that. Gosh, it's it's such so many bad ideas back to back. <laughs> but but at least but at least Dark Knight Rises is like I'm sorry about the mistakes, but the the series is over. Yeah, <laughs> we're well, done. It, I'm sorry it hurt, but we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was almost like a, I know this. I know this was not what you wanted, but hey, it's okay. <laughs> we're not. We're done. Yeah. It's okay. We got through it. We all got through it together. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're done. No, one, no one's gonna leave now. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's flawed. It's 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 hard. It's not a movie that I ever am very compelled to rewatch. Right. Of all these movies, like I just, I'm like, I don't want to throw on Dark Knight Rises. Like, <laughs> like I don't want to be bothered. Like, yeah, Anne Hathaway's Catman. Yeah, cast as Catwoman. Really good. She's really good in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoy her. Uh, uh, again, Bale is is doing good work here. All the supporting cast is doing good work here. Al, uh, uh, Michael Caine as Alfred is is bringing it so hard, so hard. The moment where he's basically <laughs> the in final, so, <laughs> yeah, in so yeah, many yeah, words, just being like, "I'm so tired of you. Like, I'm so irritated by what you're doing." And, and then that's at the end, tough, yeah, yeah. And that's the tough thing about the movie is that he leaves the movie for like an hour. Yeah, right. It's a major point for the character, but he leaves the movie for like an hour, and you're like, I really need Alfred. And then when, at, <laughs> then at the end, when he's crying at the grave, it's like, oh. this is really strong. This is really strong. Yeah. And so he, he's bringing it again. Everyone's bringing it. Um, but Nolan is, is, yeah, I don't know. He's like, yeah, I guess we got to do this. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah his, his, heart's, his heart's not in it. And it's, it's not surprising that after this, they were like, you know what? Let's take a break from Batman for a little bit. Like, let's yeah, let's give it some time. Um, oh, and Talia Al Ghul reveal is one of the worst things too. Oh my, I completely forgot about Talia Al Ghul. Because oh she's my God. Talia, she's she's revealed to be Talia in like for like yeah. ten minutes at the end, and it's like it doesn't work. No. Mary Cotillard is maybe one of the weaker parts of the movie. Her death scene is like real bad. Oh, it's and then, like, and then also like the undermining of Bane is like weird. It doesn't do the movie any favors. Yeah. Like you don't have to, like even if you don't care about Bane and you don't don't worry about that. It's like this doesn't work for the movie. Right. Like we've taken this like intimidating character and then we've like I don't know, t- sapped a little something out of him yeah. and we've given it to this other character. And this last minute reveal doesn't really work because the character's not really in the movie that much, and it doesn't. We're not. We don't really care about her, so it's the weird thing where we like take the energy from him from here and we give it to her, but something's lost between it, and we kind of just like drain it out. It just absolutely, gets and if it it uh, it almost makes Bane feel less than for the last yeah. bit of the movie, which sucks yeah. because I thought he was so strong throughout the rest of it, and then he just gets shot with the 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 bat pot and that's he it. sure does and yeah. that's it for him and when he gets <laughs> shot in the movie i'm like he's coming back right yeah <laughs> he has that vest on he's got that big vest on is he still alive right he's like nope that's it that's a wrap on tom <laughs> <laughs> oh so 
after that, we we come to the, I guess we could call this the uh, the controversial period of Batman in film. Yes. Uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Yeah. 2016, directed by Zack Snyder, with Ben Affleck stepping into the cape and cowl. Yes. What did you think of? Do you remember how you were feeling when the announcement went out about Ben Affleck becoming Batman? Yeah, I was totally fine with it, actually. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't. Uh, yeah, it, came, it went out, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, it could work. You know, Ben Affleck. He, this was the post. Um, post the town. Post. Um, was this post Argo? Yes. Yeah. Um, so it was like Ben Affleck's come back. You know, he's doing good work. He's solid actor. He seems about the right age and right build for it. I could see it. So I was like, this is fine. You know, what about you? I was, I've had my heart dead set for a very long time on the idea of John Hamm as Batman. He'd be a good fit. He'd be a very good fit. He would. And it's, you know, he's made no bones about like, I don't care about superhero stuff, which is fine, <laughs> which is fine. But he, I, if he cared, he would have made it into a superhero movie by now, for sure. Agreed. And I think that he he was kind of my top choice. But I also heard, you know, there was a big rumor that Josh Brolin was That's a front right. runner. Yeah. And yeah. I was really starting to get into that idea. And for me, Ben Affleck kind of felt out of left field. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's oh, that's odd. Uh-huh. But also, you know, he had just come off of Argo. The Town was probably one of my favorite films coming out of the early 2010s. It's really good. And I fell back in love with his performances in Hollywoodland. Oh, when he played yeah. uh, George really Reeves. Yeah, he's really good in that. And so I was, the words I used were cautiously optimistic. And I was like, <laughs> I really want this to be good, but I don't know, man. I'm hoping. Um, right, right. But I would say, you know, in certain aspects, uh, this is one of the most, whatever this word means, comic accurate portrayals of batman at least from a physical standpoint yes like, i love the way he looks they when they released that first shot of him that black mm-hmm. and white shot of him next to the batmobile That's i right. was blown away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the costume's awesome it it's um it simulates like a fabric feel like a thick protective fabric feel with the worn leather cowl going into the cape I really, I mean, I really dig the Dark Knight Returns look of Batman in general. I like the fat bat symbol <laughs> on him. I really do like that a lot. I know some people aren't crazy about it, but I really like it a lot. Um, he looks great. He looks great in the cowl. His his big butt chin looks really good, you know, in the mask. <laughs> on display. He looks good as Bruce Wayne. Um, he, yeah, he he's a he looks good. I really like the look of batman in the movie for sure i like his performance as batman in the movie i do not like the choices made with batman in the movie i of course he he's he's on a murderous rampage i don't like that (laughs) he is Um, he's also kind of an idiot he's kind of an idiot he is like he's tricked so easily by and all this sort of stuff it's like like I don't understand how Batman is like tricked into these sorts of things and makes these sorts of decisions. So he's, it's such a weird dichotomy, right? Yeah. I like him as Batman. He is acting well as Bruce Wayne and Batman. 
I don't like what he does as Batman, and I don't like his plot as Batman. So I don't like. How does that even work? And I mean, what else can you say about the worst Batman movie ever made? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is so like I think that you can absolutely see sparks of brilliance from him in this film. I think the drunk Bruce Wayne scene at Lex's party is one of the best like. Bruce Wayne, because he's just being Ben Affleck when he's yeah. like, ah, I just I've, I'm looking for the bathroom and like uh, Mercy yeah. walks away. He's like, I like your shoes. Like, <laughs> I still like that's Bruce Wayne, like the yeah. facade. And yeah. I love that aspect of him. I agree. The bat suit is just incredible. Yeah, uh, so good. That's something that I and I love like you're talking about the bat symbol, like how it's got like scratches and dents yeah. in it. Like it's worn down. Yeah. And I'm not crazy about the killing. I don't like it. I don't like that he brands people either because that feels weird. It does feel weird. It's thrown in there. It's just kind of yeah. Thrown in there. But I will say I do really dig the Batmobile that he's okay. got. It's cool. It's cool. It's almost a hot rod design to some yeah, degree. It, it reminds me of every Hot Wheel I collected as a kid. Like I've got a, I've got a giant collection of of Hot Wheel Batmobiles. Nice. Yes. It, it it looks great. You know, in it's there, so. it's right in there. <laughs> but but I will say I like the premise for him in this film. Like yeah. you know, this is post death of Jason Todd. This guy's been doing this for twenty years. Um, Alfred in this even more so than the Michael Caine Alfred is just so tired of Bruce and yeah. I love I love sassy Alfred and Jeremy yeah. Irons he's really good as Alfred he's really. sassy Alfred to a T and I love yeah. that yeah um, but there are certain things about this character that just don't jive with me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there was this whole big hullabaloo like near the end of last year about Zack Snyder and his comments about Batman about oh King. yeah and all that stuff you know you're yeah. living in a dream world <laughs> it's and so silly it's so silly because like yeah because superheroes of course it's a dream world. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what it is but i i think that they had a really great base for him to start off in and then they just kind of took him away from all of the promise that he had because they had to have him fight superman yeah, it's a weird movie. I didn't like it. I remember watching it in theaters. <laughs> like, I watched it in theaters. I watched it with a group of friends, and afterwards, just like getting a beer and like talking about like what the hell did we just watch? Like, I've never okay. I've I've never seen the director's cut, the like half an hour longer one. Yeah, everyone says like, oh, it's a stronger movie because it fills out X, Y, and Z. And I go, well, I, I didn't like it when it's two and a half hours long. Like, why do I watch three hours of a movie that I didn't like? Uh, it's just more of what I I didn't like. Yeah. And I just, I, Zack Snyder's movies, they always look great. You know, Absolutely. great costume design, great cinematography, great set design. Um, but I don't really like his, like, approach. I, if I'm thinking of any of the only Zack Snyder movie I like is, like, Dawn of the Dead. Like, that's, that's the only fair. one. And I like half of Man of Steel. So I guess we should talk about Man of Steel a little bit. Absolutely. Um, I like half of Man of Steel. And then basically, I like all of Man of Steel up until like when he starts fighting the Kryptonians in Smallville. The yeah, big Smallville fight when he comes down to the ship, and then it segues into the giant fight in Metropolis, which is just like, oh my god, like this is <laughs> horrifying. I remember watching it and being like, 
please like stop the fight like you know like Save you know in people. rocky in rocky 4 when apollo's going to get killed by um by drago and i was like stop the fight yeah and like throw the rocky towel in rocky towel. I'm I want to I'm yelling that at the movie, like not Superman. <laughs> I'm yelling at the movie, like stop the fight, please. <laughs> like it's so like insane. Everyone's blowing up and screaming, and everyone's dying, and the giant, um, the giant gravity well thing is like crushing people. And I'm like, please, like, what are you doing? Like, but like all the stuff with like. Clark and like figuring out who he is. I like Henry Cavill as Superman. Um, right. Like, you know, the casting and that in general and all this sort of stuff. But by the end, I'm like, please stop. And then like, and then that just kind of like that, like feeling that like ugly pit in my stomach that I felt like in that is like, yeah. like, let's make this the entire movie. And that is Batman v Superman. And yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I will say I am a big proponent and a big defender of Man of Steel. I I don't think it's a perfect movie, and I definitely don't think it's a great Superman movie. But I liked a lot of the ideas that they had for that film. And I liked, yeah. even though the execution might not have been great, I mm-hmm. liked that. I liked a lot of moments that happened there. I thought the characterization was strong. The casting was great. Yeah. Um, I like Michael Shannon as shouting, like, I'm going to find you. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's at his best when he's just shouting at people. Yeah. But, like, that's a I, great I will find him. Just that's, for no reason. He, he already said it. He's just like, yeah. I will find him. And then there's this pause where it's like, it's almost like psychically, Lara is just like, say it again. <laughs> and he just goes, I will find him. <laughs> but but it's so um it's so hard that last act is so hard to watch yeah and it's like the buildings are falling down there's that scene where like uh perry is trying to get jenny olsen out of the rubble and i'm like these are really strong 9-11 comparisons and i yeah. really don't like that yeah but the promise for me when going into batman v superman was like we're going to address that we're going yeah. to talk about it. There's going to be consequences. And I'm like, cool, let's do this. I'm mm-hmm. in on that idea because he's learning. But that then opening, that opening of Batman v Superman, when you see it from Bruce Wayne's perspective, so is so strong. It's really good. It's really strong. It's very intense. And you kind of get where the character's coming from. Yeah. And that's immediately, it's like one of those things where it's like, all right, this movie's going to be great. And then it just takes a left turn. It's like, psych. Yeah. Yeah, the movie, I remember just being really, like, the pacing of the movie was really weird to me, too. It was like they shot three different movies and kind of spliced them together. We keep jumping between them, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, the pacing's all off here. Maybe the director's cut solves some of that. I don't know. But to me, it was like, ah, just like, this movie is, like, constantly trying to, like, buck me off of it like a horse. And I can't, like, (laughs) grab onto this movie. And I just hated, like, just kind of how it felt. Right. And the Martha thing is just terrible. <laughs> and everyone will tell you, don't know, you don't understand because it's about him finding his humanity and recognizing it. It's like it's it's they share the same mother's name. Like it's it's bad. Like like things can be metaphors and things can mean larger things under the surface, but the thing that's on the surface has to work. Yes. If 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 the if the literal piece of your metaphor sucks, 
then your metaphor sucks. <laughs> it's so true. And it's like, oh, I have had people sit me down and go like, look, this is the reason why Martha works. <laughs> and like going through all of it and everything. And I'm like, okay, but if I needed you to sit me down to explain to me uh-huh. after having mm-hmm. seen the film already, then it doesn't work. It's the smell test. This is a smell yes, test. Yes, absolutely. And I will say having watched that, director's cut it does okay. fill in a lot of the gaps but it doesn't okay. change the movie inherently it just adds a subplot and it really doesn't like yeah. the movie isn't affected in any way okay um but i i really was let down and that made me really cautious for justice league the next year mm-hmm. mm, and, justice league yes and, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but Let's, I feel yeah. like it does have to be mentioned because Batman is a central character. Yes. Um, well, his bat suit is worse in Justice Absolutely League. agree. I don't like the. It, he looks like Night Owl. He looks the like cow Night Owl. And, so weird. And the goggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, they do Night Owl for some reason um, <laughs> from Watchmen. It's like this is weird, and there's the whole. <laughs> I, like all the behind the scenes stuff is such a mess. And yeah, you know, it was really sad about what happened with his family and then Joss Whedon getting brought in and all the weird stuff. And to me, like, see, I really like, I really, really dislike Batman V Superman. I put it at the yes. bottom of the list and justice league is, is nothing. It's just a, just a <laughs> two hours of nothing. The movie right. ended I waited until I didn't see it in theaters. I waited until it was out uh, on Blu-ray oh. and I, I rented it because everyone was like, "Movie's bad." And I watched it. and I was <laughs> like, "This movie, this movie isn't even bad. This movie is nothing. It yeah. has nothing going on. It everyone is given nothing. Everyone is shortchanged. Gal Gadot is like totally criminally misunderused. She's trying so hard. She's trying. <laughs> there's every, everything's everywhere. No one's working. Uh, no one gets anything to do. It, the tonally, the movie is all over the place. The the Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon do not like mesh together. No. Um, it just doesn't work at all. Well, <laughs> I will bad. say I made the choice to go see this at midnight. Oh boy, how was that? Out. Okay, how was oh, that my... in the theater? So let me tell you, I I came to my theater here in here in Los Angeles. I went to this theater with low expectations. Mm-hmm. I dragged my partner with me and she had no interest in seeing this movie whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. But she was like, I love you. We're going to go. And so I go and I'm like, all right, we're going to go at midnight. Cause I've done this for every superhero movie. I'm going to do this. I got to stay up to date. And we go. And I remember being shocked walking into the theater. Cause there was only 10 other people Ooh. in the entire theater. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not a good sign. No, not at all. And I remember just sitting down and we watched it. And afterwards, I I walked out of the theater and um, my partner was just like, so what did you think? And I'm like, I'm trying really hard to find something that I liked. <laughs> like, like, I'm trying really hard to convince myself that I didn't waste my time. And it's yeah. so... It sucks because a Justice League movie should be amazing. Yeah. And it just was not. No, not at all. I mean, it 
the 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 whiffing, the, how hard it whiffed at the box office financially and and critically. It was crazy, and it has fundamentally altered the course of WB's superhero movies. Probably Absolutely. for the best. Probably oh, for the great. best. They can, so now they can kind of. I I do like the whole like, you can do your thing, do your thing. Yeah. You, you want like I didn't really care for Joker, but you get to do your thing. Awesome. For sure. You, uh, Wonder Woman um, 84, you get to do your thing. Aquaman, Shazam, do your thing. Cool. I like that because while I enjoy the MCU, there's a certain sameness to it that I feel like Absolutely. is, I feel like there's usually like a ceiling on these movies as yeah. for as good as they can get. And sometimes they break through the ceiling and sometimes they, usually they don't. Yeah. With, at least with DC, it's like, I don't know, go go do your thing now. And, and if Justice League hadn't bombed, um, basically, uh, then they wouldn't have done that. They would have said, continue with the connected universe. We're driving forward with this. And yeah. And so True. it's probably for the best. It would be a very <laughs> it's an interesting diverging timeline, right? Of, yeah. of where that would have gone. But yeah, I mean, w- the thing that sucks about Justice League is like they had some interesting casting choices right. that now aren't going to go anywhere because it's dead now. This is like a dead end yeah. here. Like I don't know why they they casted Joe Manganiello as Deathstroke. I I yeah, that still boggles the mind because like it's, it's like it it looks cool. He looks Joe, cool. I, I hope that you got to keep your costume. It's gonna be a really cool piece in your home. But that's it. <laughs> well, you know You're he done. does listen to the podcast, so I'm glad that you are having that personal message for him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because it's, it's, it's out there, uh, you're really you look really good in Magic Mike too. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm gonna set Justice League off to the side and talk about the good Batman movie of 2017. That mm-hmm. being the Lego Batman movie. Yeah, a great Batman movie. I it is so underserved and underappreciated. Directed by Chris McKay, Will Arnett is Batman, and he is yeah. fantastic. He's great. Yeah. And um, uh, Michael Sarah as Robin, yes, as Robin, right. Zach Galifianakis as the Joker. Uh, yes, and um, Rosario Dawson as as Barbara Gordon. Yes, and this film did correct a huge injustice by bringing Billy D. Williams back to voice <laughs> Two Face. Yes, it's so good, and it's so like you would think that in this. Um, kind of status quo that we have of like dark gritty Batman. Batman has to like punch people and brand them and like sit in the rain on top of a gargoyle. Like a movie <laughs> like this wouldn't work, but it does. Yeah. And absolutely. the film really is kind of a celebration of Batman and focuses a lot on the aspect that I don't think gets talked about enough is family. Yes. A huge part. I mean, a huge part of the comics for decades and not really part of the movies ever. Right. Because they're just like, just Batman is a solo hero of the night. That's it. And he needs no one. And and in the comics, it's like, no, he's got this huge supporting cast, all these yeah. other heroes with their own lives and how they interact with each other. Um, it's super fun. And I also like that it does like dip its toe into the like the Batman as the dark character, too. But it's having <laughs> yeah. fun with it. And it's because... It is a Lego cartoon. It has the flexibility to be so many different things. Absolutely. To be as wild as it can be and to be a like to to point to the different iterations of Batman and to yeah. do all this stuff and to have the the crazy 
Batman song at the start when he's fighting <laughs> all the villains and changing yeah. the Batmobile and then the lobster Thermidor alone at night and all this sort yes. of stuff. It's like it's super fun. It's a great movie. The Lego movie, the original Lego movie, I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of. It's such a, a great, inventive, touching movie. And the spirit is continued on to the Lego Batman movie and it works really, really well. Like really, yeah. really like far, even even enjoying the Lego movie as much as I did, like I was still really surprised when I went to Lego Batman and enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, I I I'll admit I slept on it because I didn't I didn't see it in the theaters. I was it's I an think... over it was an overwhelming experience in the theater. Oh, it, I'm it was sure insanity. Just, you know? just just Michael Sarah's Robin is just overwhelming, and I watched it at home. <laughs> so like, and everything that really works in that film really works and has no right to yeah. like the whole idea that Robin gets his costume from some Rastafarian, like Batman <laughs> costume is just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's incredible. And the fact that it really um, focuses on this idea that Batman was an orphan. He doesn't know how to have a family and all these people are trying to be his family and he doesn't know how to react to that. It's really touching stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff that the comics absolutely address almost on a weekly basis. Yes. It's almost weird when a comic is like, it's just Batman. We're going to leave everyone out. And you're like, well, but they're all there. Like they're, we all know (laughs) they're there. Like, it's on your Batman comic is on the shelf next to Nightwing. Like yeah. I, I know that he's like literally behind the other door in Wayne Manor right now. <laughs> literally pan the camera over and there's Tim Drake, you know, just wandering yes. around the Batcave. Like oh, poor Tim Drake. Oh, I I have a lot of thoughts on Tim Drake. I have a lot of feelings when it comes to that guy. <laughs> um, but that brings us looking towards the future. As yes. the Batman it's supposed to come out in 2021, uh, directed by Matt Reeves. I'm going to run down this cast because I think this is one of the best casts we've gotten together for a Batman film in a long time. For sure. Um, Robert Pattinson is Batman. Andy Serkis is Alfred. Jeffrey Wright is Gordon. Uh, Zoe Kravitz is Catwoman. Colin Farrell as the Penguin and Paul Dano as the Riddler are all confirmed. Um, yeah. Great. Just wow. Wow. Yeah. Like it's incredible. The yeah, the casting is 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 spot on, but also interesting. Like yeah, when 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 each person was announced, I was like, well, I wasn't thinking about them, but yeah, great. Like they sound great. Like that sounds like it's gonna be awesome. So I'm I'm definitely interested. Um, Matt Reeves, strong director. The Planet of the Apes movies are really strong. Um, I I really like Robert Pattinson as Batman. Like uh, when he was cast, I was like, hell yeah, like that's awesome. And I know a lot of people were like, oh, Twilight and stuff. But that's like a <laughs> decade ago. Yeah. And seeing him and stuff, seeing him stuff like Good Time is like, or the if you've seen that movie or the Lighthouse and stuff like that is like he's such like a great actor. He's really stretched himself. What's gonna happen is he's in Tenet. Right, the new Christopher Nolan. Yes, movie. I'm really and, excited about that. And he's he's playing the typical Christopher Nolan stand-in. You know, there's always someone yes. in Christopher Nolan that's playing Christopher Nolan, and that's him. He's going to be suave. He's going to be in 
graded action and everyone's going to go like, oh, Robert Pattinson. Like, I'm really excited about him as Batman now because you'll <laughs> finally kind of see you'll see him in a mode that's probably going to be somewhat similar yeah. to Batman. So right now it's like he's a great actor. I think he's really going to be a strong Batman. And then you'll see him as a Batman adjacent type and then people will get excited. Yeah. yeah and and you're right. This always happens like when we have new people like that, because it's almost a uh, one for one comparison to Ben Affleck getting casted as Batman. It's like, yeah. yeah, like we know he was that guy for a little while, but he's really like reinvented himself doing all of his indie film work and really putting in time to show like, hey, I'm not just like a teen heartthrob. Like I'm an actor. Yes. And yes, for sure. And I'm excited to see what he brings to it. Um, have you I'm assuming you've seen the set leaks. The, I uh, have. And I thought that the the initial official costume reveal was cool. Same. Um, you know, I don't. Is it supposed to be a gun welded into the bat symbol? Maybe. I hope not. Personally, it's a little. It's a little weird. Um, but the, it looked interesting. Now the set leaks. I I didn't like how the costume looked in the set leaks. Mm-hmm. But it's also a stunt. It's for a stunt man. Right. And it's also not lit for being seen in a film. Agreed. So I didn't like it, but mm-hmm. it's not a flattering look at it. Right. I think it was a weird combo in that like the the body is a really like heavy metal welded together kind of thing. And then the yeah. cape and the cowl are like a stitched leather. Right. Mm-hmm. So it looks homemade almost. And maybe Which, that's what they're going for. Yeah. And I kind it's, of like the idea. Interesting of this. idea. Yeah, this being like a prototype suit. Yeah. And then maybe we'll get a more refined version by the end of the film. Yeah. I I mean, I like like the collar aspect of it. We don't yeah. see that very often. Yeah, it's like um uh, there it <clears throat> looks almost like uh, I think it's like Batman Noel. I'm blanking on the artist. Yes. He did that. Um, he did um Luthor and Joker. Oh my god. And um um, he did. Uh, I'm what's looking it that up. That's gonna be the, the latest. The the latest. The latest Batman one uh, where he showed his dick. Um, and, um, <laughs> uh, Liebermeho. Liebermeho. It look. It yes. looks kind of like that. Uh, at least the 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 that that collar, the high collar, and then the face stitching with that round um, semicircle in yeah. the forehead looks like Gotham by Gaslight. Almost. Yes, and almost a little bit like, uh, and I hate saying this, um, Adam West a little bit, his cow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the eyebrows are more pronounced. Yeah, very pronounced. Yeah, so that's interesting. So I'll wait and see, because again, the, the, co- the, the, the stuntman had those clear goggles over the eyes. And everyone right, was and like... I don't know if that's going to be part of the suit or not, or if that was just for the stunts. Right, because he's driving a motorcycle. So it's like, yeah. maybe that's not. Maybe he just has large, open eye holes, which is fine. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm sort of wondering if that's actually a thing. I hope not. It Same. will automatically look better without those. I Agreed. Think. Now, I'm going to ask you this. Are you a short-eared guy or a long-eared guy? Generally, uh, short. Yeah, okay. what about you? What about you? I'm, I'm a short-eared guy, but I will make exceptions for cows like the Arkham Origins, which I think this Batsuit also pulls a lot from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually liked the length that the Nolan ears got, because those yeah. are kind of like mid-length. Yeah. Um, 
I think if you start to get towards like uh like um like a long Halloween or something mm. like that where the ears are just ridiculously <laughs> long, like it just it looks silly. To me, it works in long Halloween. Like that's a exa- those exaggerated proportions are applied to like everything in the comic. Right. Tim Sale. Um, Tim Sale has that approach to everything. So when the ears are long and Batman's also built like he's made out of bowling balls and Catwoman <laughs> has some massive ears and whiskers and, and Penguin is like two feet tall, like everything is so um, exaggerated and cartoonish, like it works. But if you're going for like realism and then he puts super long ears on, it's kind of strange. So yeah. I like the shorter, I mean, like, like the Ben Affleck one, which is very like Dark Knight Returns, like we talked about, is like short, like super short. Super short. And, and I like that. I think it works well. Yeah, it's it's more tactical, I think. It evokes just enough. Though I wouldn't be against them trying to find some way to make like the um the original Detective Comics 27 cow where it kind of like laughs. Oh yeah. It almost Wolverine style. It, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like if they could make that work, I'd I would be into it. But it's it's going to be interesting to see the actual official look of how the bat suit looks. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm again, like I said, I didn't like the the look of the stunt guy, but I'm just not I'm not actually, you know, making that my opinion on it because it's just like, well, wait, we'll just wait. For so, sure. again, like you throw the light writing, the, the, the right lighting on something and you shoot it in the right way and you get the right fit for your actor and it looks great. I mean, mm-hmm. some of those some of the bad costumes you know, look kind of ridiculous, you know, just on their own. You really think <laughs> absolutely, about it. yeah. Well, and I speaking of which, while I've got you here, we've gotten through the entire history of the Batman on the silver screen. Um, I want to talk to you about some rankings, yes. So, when it comes to the bat suits, okay, um, yes, it, if you have, I've, I've got them all written down. Um, all right, let's do I it. I have, I have. Uh, 15 bat suits here. Oof, all that's bat through. Yes. Okay. That's, I would, I would say arguably too many bat suits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this is what I've got. So at number 15, I've got the uh, Affleck nightmare suit from uh, Donna oh, Justice. Oh, yeah, with the goggles and the trench coat. It's an interesting yes. look. It doesn't make any sense. None whatsoever. And I hate that he's just carrying a rifle with him on. Uh, it bothers <laughs> me so talk about that. It's such a weird moment. It's just like, I don't know what's going on. Um, at 14, I have the uh, George Clooney ice suit that oh, he yeah. uses uh-huh, at the end. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Right above that, at 13, I have the Val Kilmer sonar suit because it's just as ridiculous. Yeah, it's all just the same suit but with some little, little, little... I don't know, little Susan of, of, of silvery polish. Good on wordage. Here Good wordage. <laughs> I love that. Um, right above that, the Clooney original suit, because it's basically the uh, Kilmer suit, just no yellow whatsoever on there. And with some extra um, points. Yes, some extra points. A couple, just a couple. <laughs> but, they're, but they're noticeable. Um at number, what do I have this at? At number 11, I have the uh, Affleck bat armor from uh, Justice League, his goggles, his night owl look. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a not good one. I'd, personally, I think I'd throw that like further down. 
Yeah, I just don't like it at all. I put that. I put that below the the nightmare one. <laughs> yeah, I I honestly I might have, but I can't get past that gun toting. Like I can't for me. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So at number ten, I have the Adam West suit. It's classic. It's silly, but it's Batman. Yeah, it looks great. He looks great in it. Um, I I always, I always wish that the the symbol was just a little higher. Yes, it's kind of it, like it's. It's middle. Yeah. It's straight in the middle of the torso. <laughs> yeah, right on top of like, the stomach. It should be like right in the middle of the pecs. For Just sure. bring it up like three, <laughs> three inches. Yeah. Um, at number nine, I have the uh, the Affleck bat armor that he fights Superman in. Super cool. I mean, it's basically just Dark Knight Returns practically made i think it's, it looks really awesome he looks yeah. the, and the glowing eyes you get the glowing white eyes absolutely I mean. the voice modulator works i think for that it's 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 cool and it's almost a one-to-one like adaptation from that dark knight returns comic yeah um at number eight i have kilmer's original suit because it was basically just the 89 suit with nipples <laughs> yeah it kind of yeah it is a and little I, sleeker a little sleeker yes shinier i would say as shinier. well yeah um right above that um and i would i would say just i threw this in just on a whim i think but at number seven i have from what i've seen of pattinson's suit i think it can yeah. look really good yes like you said as long as they light it well um and they make the choices I don't know how I feel about his symbol possibly being, you know, the gun that killed his parents. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of problems with that, but um, I think overall it, it it's a striking silhouette and it's definitely different from any bat suit that we've seen on screen. Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll just, again, I just, I'll reserve judgment until I see like that, like first, like look at him in a trailer, you know, here sure. he is boom lit. Well, you see him in detail, but with the right shadow, and then we'll see. Yeah. So at number six, I have the Returns bat suit. I'm a big uh, fan. I I think it's it's good. The only thing I don't know why they got rid of the original cowl from the '89 suit because mm-hmm. I feel like this cowl just looks so blocky, and it it is blocky. It makes his head look way bigger than his body. At least mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can see that for sure. I The things that I think it does better than the 89 suit are that the symbol is better. Absolutely. It doesn't have that weird little point at the end on the bottom. tail or something. I like the um, armored ridges instead of the sculpted muscle. I think I, I like that better. And the cowl, well, yeah, it is more blocky. I like most of the design of the cowl of the 89 suit, except for how it has these openings by his, his mouth. <laughs> You're right. Like yeah. you could stick your hand in there. Like someone <laughs> could like shove a grenade, like in his cowl. And it's like, that's always a little distracting to me, but I yeah. do like it. I like the, the heavy brow in the, in the 89 cowl, but I just overall, I like the bat suit of 89 or of, of returns a little bit better. It's also not all smudgy. That's fair. Yes, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's smooth. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Yes. At uh, at number five, I have Affleck's Justice League Batsuit, the original one, because I think this was a big step down from the Donna Justice suit. Gosh, I'm trying to remember what it looks like. It's this the weird... is... 
This is like the non-armored one. Yes. So they like they pushed the ears back and they like gave him like a grimace in the face. Um, the suit is like pretty similar to the uh, BVS suit, but it just for me, like the cowl looks weird. Mm. They added some weird armor uh, plating on his abs. Oh, I see. it. OK. Oh, yeah. He's real grimacy. Yes. I'm looking at it. It's it's like they. Yeah, that's funny. I'm looking at a comparison with the 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 Justice League versus Batman v Superman, and yeah, there's some weird touches that they add. The weird, yeah, armor bl- like squares, yes, in certain places it makes the suit like I don't know, a little too busy. Yeah, it feels and... paintbally almost, like paintball armor. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They're like, well, we got this suit, but it can't be the same suit. We got to do something. <laughs> I mean, what if we made it slightly worse? it's so weird yeah never picked up on that before it's it's odd that was and i'm weird and i like i picked up on that immediately when i saw the trailers for justice league when it first came out and i was like oh that's i don't like that yeah that's odd okay now another reason i never watched justice league again (laughs) so at number four i have the uh, christian bale dark knight slash dark knight rises armor I like yeah. the concept. I like the cowl for the most part. I wish the mouth opening was a little bigger. Yeah, sometimes little, it looks like it's a little squished. Yes, it looks like his face is kind of spilling out, and you see that a lot with uh, with cosplay. Oh, when, like yeah. they, the cowl is just too tight, just a little bit. Like their mm-hmm. mouth just puckers right yeah. out of there. Um, but I do feel like it looks a little uh, motocross from the neck down. Yeah, yeah, it's got the. Yeah, the whole I like the concept too. The armor plating and that it plays into the right. actual like that they have a reason for it in the story of like more mobility and the way that it works and the plating and the things and I like it. I um, it is a little motocrossy. It's a little too busy again. Yeah, all the pieces. Um, yeah, <laughs> overdesigned for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so at number three, I have the '89 suit. For the reasons yeah. I've already stated, I think it's classic, even though the symbol does have that weird tail on the bottom. Yeah, which is not uh, on the poster. They no! The poster. <laughs> and it's like they knew, like you knew this. Why didn't you do this on the actual suit? <laughs> but I I like that it's striking. Like the black is the all black with a bright gold belt and a bright yeah. yellow uh, symbol, I think works. especially for design. Yeah, and especially for that Burton sensibilities, like this is exactly what he would like think of when thinking yeah. of Batman. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, I really like it. It's great. Again, yeah. I, like I said, I like Returns a little bit better just because the little tweaks they make. But again, it's still like the same concept. For sure. Just, yeah, yeah. So at number two, I have the uh, Christian Bale Begins suit. I think it's absolutely amazing. I love Yeah, I love it. That. Yeah, it's great. Just like the cape is amazing. I love how he looks when he um, when he meets Rachel and he's like perched on that like subway railing. Yeah, he's got a great musculature. He feels big in the suit. Um, Yeah, I really like it, too. I do like that the Dark Knight suit introduced more color to the suit Um, because because the the, uh, because this one is all black, like right. All black and black symbol on black costume, but it still has a lot of detail in it, and it was, I think it still works really well. Yeah, yeah, sure. 
And I think number one, it's got it's got to be the Affleck Batman v Superman suit for me. I just mm-hmm. I like you you eloquently put earlier, you know, big fat bat on a big fat chest. Like it's, (laughs) it, it just works, especially for this character. And I like the mobility aspect. Somehow they got a cowl that looks like the, uh, Batman begins cowl, but he can still turn his head in it. Yeah. Um, He looks imposing. He looks scary. Like that's like, you see a big guy like that. You're like, ah, I don't know about that. Yeah. And his, um, Closer to the end, his warehouse fight, you know, he's flipping all around and fighting everyone. Yes. Like, it's really cool. And, like, the suit looks really good in action. Um, maybe it's CGI assisted. I don't know. Just to <laughs> cover up the joints. Probably, in the suit. You yeah. know how they do that with a lot of Marvel movies now? Yeah. Where they, like, smooth it out in certain ways. Marvel does that too much. But, um, Absolutely. like, it, it looks great. It looks great in action. It looks great just standing there and it's really well lit. And I... I like the clothy look. I, I like mm-hmm. a Batman that looks like he's wearing something a little bit thinner than something that's like super armored up, you know. Definitely. Yeah. So, what are you, what are your rankings? I want to hear them. Let's let's do this. For the movies or for the costumes? For the costumes. All right, I did not create an exhaustive list for for you. So, <laughs> let me okay. let me let, If you want to do I, top 5, I, we could do top 5 too. Yeah, so for top five, I would definitely put Batman Returns up there at the top. Um, And I would put Batman Begins up there as well. Um, I feel like the animated ones are a little bit of a cheat, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Because they don't have to be practically designed. But I mean, the the animated series look is so good. Like, he looks so, so good. He, I mean, his, his look in Mask of the Phantasm and the animated series is top notch. And I also really like how he looks in the new Batman Adventures. You know, when they give the updated yes. design, that's a little more squared off. More uh, uh, hush looking. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they dropped the yellow oval. And I like mm-hmm. both yellow oval and no oval. Um, yeah. I don't I know like if I would that prefer... they gave them the pouches on the belt. For I the prefer... New Batman Adventures. Yeah, I like pouches versus the metal capsule look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. So I put those up there. I would put the Dark Knight up there as well. Um... And then let's see. Yeah, 89's got to go up there too. It's such an iconic look. I know we can't, like, again, when I was saying, like, Batman 89 looks better in still images, <laughs> Batman moving is a big part of that. <laughs> you know? The key he can't, he can't move his shoulders. <laughs> he can't move his neck. He's got to kick straight and punch straight. You know, he can't really bend over, move around. You know, he looks good when he shoots, when he throws a batarang or he shoots something. But yeah, but it, it needs to be still images. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I mean, ben, the Ben Affleck, did I say Ben Affleck? I put him up there too. The, uh, the, 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 the Batman v Superman look, Definitely. for sure. Those are the top ones for me. Everything else, all the Schumacher stuff is like, <laughs> whatever, you know, yeah, forget for it. For sure. Yeah. So you did do a ranking of the films then? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes. All right. So I think then let's do it this way. So we'll do, we'll go down the list because I have 12. Is that what you have? Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. Did you put Justice League in here? I did. And I can take that off. That's fine. No, I can put it in here. Okay. All right. There you go. It's real easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay so let let's let's uh let's uh popcorn you'll you'll go 
do yours, or you'll do 12, I'll do 12, and then we'll go all the way down. So what is your number 12? Down at the bottom, very last, is Batman v Superman. Really? Okay. Interesting. Why? It sucks, uh, in all ways. <laughs> um, it's uh, the only thing worse is Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Because to me, Batman v Superman was like, we have this possibility... And no, we're gonna. It's it's really gonna miss the mark really badly. And then Suicide Squad is you could do something okay with this, and then it's just like this is trash. All of this <laughs> is trash. Like you have, um, I don't know. You you've made a mockery of, of <laughs> cinema. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but Danny Suran, it's just like it's just like to me, it was just a misfire, like right. in so many ways, just misfire. Okay, you're you're twelve. Uh, my 12 is Justice League. Okay. Um, I've, <laughs> I've got it. It just, like you said, for all the reasons like we talked about, like it's a nothing movie. Like you want to talk about a misfire. This is probably the biggest misfire they could have made at that point. They had oh, the yeah. tools to make this work and they just decided not to, you know, taking out all the trouble yeah. production, you know, obviously the uh, tragedy that Zack Snyder suffered through. Um, but bringing in someone who did not complement his style whatsoever and making just some wildly out of character moments with people like when Batman's laying on like the lawn oh, yeah. in front of oh, the, sounds, like, oh, something's definitely something broken. It's like, uh, I don't like that. So that is my number 12. What is your number 11? Justice League. Justice ah, nice. League number 11. So that was what I just put in here right now. It's like, this is easy. Cause again, it, Batman v Superman made me angry. I was like, <laughs> how could you do this to me? <laughs> how could you do this to anyone? And then Justice League was like, well, this is not good at all. You know, I, I just, uh, I, I didn't like it. And then I forgot about it. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, that was so it. So my number 11 is uh, Batman and Robin. Okay. It's low, and I think our our conversation has started, you know, some kind of metamorphosis in me that may change this <laughs> over time. But um, I just, there are so many things. That was the first movie that I remember watching as a kid and going, oh, I didn't no. like that. <laughs> and like when you're, a, when you're a kid, like pretty much every movie you watch, no matter how bad it is, it's like, okay, I can find enjoyment in this. And yeah. this was just, I, I just, I can't. The, the, the rubber lips... The rubber lips, uh, yeah. the bat credit card. I just, I can't get past it. But that's me. Yeah. It, they, they are action figures, you know, kind of smacking against each other <laughs> and that kind of thing. That's basically it. That's what the movie is. For sure. So what is your number 10? Batman Forever. All right. Because I, like I said, I, I just, of all those four Burton Schumacher ones, I put that right there at the bottom. Because... <laughs> I just don't like anything about it. Like, I, there's nothing in the movie that that I can like say. Oh, but besides the Batmobile, which yes. can just, you can just look at it on its own. Besides <laughs> the Batmobile, there's nothing in it where I can say this. I really like this. Uh, there's there's nothing in there for me. Right. That's yeah. fair. I also actually have Batman Forever at number ten. <laughs> um, it's you know there. 
it had a lot going for it on its premise. We're going to introduce Robin. Val Kilmer seems like he's going to bring something different. This neon Gotham seems like it could be fun, but it really did stumble right when it shouldn't have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so sure. what is your number nine? My number nine is The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you know at the end of The Dark Knight Rises when, uh, you know, you think the Batman's died because some days you just can't get rid of a bomb and <laughs> I then love- he's actually alive and then you realize that Robin is Robin and you see Batman, he's in the cafe drinking a friend of Branca and Alfred gives him a little toast and people say, no, that was in his imagination, but it's not, it's, it's real. It's, there's never been anything like that in the movie. So it's, it's real. And then Robin finds the cave and he rises up and it's like, Oh, like the spirit of Batman continues and the music swells and then it ends. And like, that's a really good thematic way to close this movie. There's yeah. a lot of good ideas. And you think that's kind of like touching. And then you think about it for a second and you go, wait a second. This movie sucks. <laughs> and that's why it's it's there. That's I, I can't argue that at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number nine is Batman v Superman. Um, yeah. It just so much, poten- again, so much potential. It really stumbled. I love the ideas behind it. I love, you know, Ben Affleck is Batman. I love the bat suit. I like it in motion. I hate that he kills people. I hate that he brands people. Mm-hmm. I hate that he's constantly like, oh, I'm just going to fly in on the Batwing and use guns to gun people down. Like that really, it shows to me that Zack Snyder doesn't fundamentally understand what Batman's about. Yeah. And that, that I couldn't put it anywhere near the top spot for that reason, for sure. Right. There's certain fundamental things of it being a Batman movie. Yes. So what is your number eight? My number eight is Batman and Robin. So I put it above all the others. Yeah. So I think this is this is where the list turns going from (laughs) like from like here's the bad stuff. to here's like the stuff I start to enjoy. And so, again, Batman and Robin, like I said earlier, takes the turns the corner. To being so bad, it's it's good in some ways. It's really enjoyable. Again, it's someone playing with their it's Schumacher playing with a bunch of action figures and smacking them together. You're know, like, this is what people want, right? And like sometimes <laughs> that is what you want. Um, sometimes you want Batman and Robin to ice skate around and like it's it's full of neon and weird lighting and odd, you know, acting choices. And George Clooney sucks in in the movie, but like so everything else is like you know this. I'm having a good time. I'm having I'm having a good time with Batman and Robin. <laughs> All right, yours. I, I, I'm going to have to rewatch that. I swear. Um, I, just you're going to make me like rewatch it. Oh, yeah, okay. have a good time with it. You know, <laughs> don't take it too seriously. So uh, my number eight is Batman sixty six. Okay. Um, pretty much. Honestly, for all the reasons that you like Batman and Robin, like it's a fun time. It doesn't make any sense. It's very much of its era. Um, it has two iconic Adam West Batman moments with the getting rid of the bomb and the shark repellent. Like it is pure, like I said, distilling everything down from that era into one like hour and a half long film. It's, it's just, it's a fun time. So that is my number eight. Perfect. Uh, What is your number seven? My number seven is Batman 66. So it's 
really close to yours. Similar reasons. It's a good time. It's fun. Adam West is great. Everyone, all the actors are super fun in their roles. And like we talked about, like movie just like loses steam. Yeah. Like it just like it 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 hits. It, it gives you everything that you would want, but then it runs out of it, and you're like, okay, well, this is kind of it. This this is all we have for you. And so for that, it just can't quite like break through so again we're in the we're finally in the portion of the bad movies that like, <laughs> I, I i enjoy i enjoy the movie but yeah. it, i enjoy it less than all the other ones that come after it got uh, it what, yours uh my number seven is dark knight rises um, okay. i think this movie is carried a lot by christian bale and michael Caine, who really are the heart and soul of the entire nolan trilogy i yeah. love bane as a villain and I like the story of uh, of Robin, you know, learning to go outside of the system. I think, like you said, there are a lot of great ideas, yes. but uh, the execution definitely was lacking in that. So that's why it's number seven for me. Yeah, so many ideas. There's all these bits that you could be like, this, <laughs> this is good. This rules. This is good. This is good. And then in the if it's if they're like. I don't know. Uh, L, they're like th- those weird chunks they put in Jello sometimes, and they're floating in this larger <laughs> Jello. And you're like, if I could just get in there and like eat that part, it would be great. But I got to eat the rest of the Jello to get to that part. What an analogy! <laughs> <laughs> That's where my brain's at. That's my brain. <laughs> so, uh, what is your number six? My number six is Lego Batman. Interesting. I like Lego Batman a lot. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It's really fun. It's super inventive. It's, it really gets the character. And I enjoy it. But I guess I just haven't seen it as much as the others. So again, sure. like there are multiple movies ahead of it. I think that this is the portion of the list where everything's kind of really close together. Like they're bunched yeah. together. Like if the if you could see the gaps between each entry in the list, these would be real tight, you know? Whereas the other ones are a lot further spaced out <laughs> i really enjoy it i just i would put it right there as far as like my ranking nice uh my number six uh might be an unpopular opinion but my number six is batman returns okay i i've i've got it i think i never really connected to it as well as um the initial batman 89 i think okay. there's a lot of awesome ideas in it and it is absolutely like a tour de force of like what Tim Burton brings to that character in that world. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of like Batman just openly killing people. <laughs> like there's a lot of Batman killing people. There is and, a lot of Batman killing people. And so, but it's uh, like you were saying, like everything is so like we're, I'm splitting hairs, ranking yes. these from here on out. So um, it was just narrowly eked out of the top five. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that that I don't know. Maybe I think you're probably in line with more people putting it lower than a lot of the other ones. Fair. So, what is your number five? My number five is Batman '89. Nice. So, like I said, this like it's really great as a series of trading cards and <laughs> and and like one and a half soundtracks. Like yeah. it, I I really enjoy it. <laughs> It's it's fun. It's a good time. It also when you watch it, like it's, you're like, this doesn't feel like any like superhero movie now. Right. Like the elements are there of like how we got from there to here, but you're like this feels like worlds apart. 
like worlds apart from like what people are doing with superhero movies now. And sometimes for sometimes that's for the worse, but a lot of times it's for the better. Um, it, it's pretty distinct and I, I really enjoy it. Uh, you can put it on and have, again, you put it on, have a good time with it. And the performances are awesome, but sure. there's just something about the movie just isn't quite like, isn't quite like firing on all cylinders. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So my number five is Lego Batman. I think it's like you said, like you can, you can put it on, you have fun with it. It's really dives into topics that I don't think people assumed that it would. I don't think a lot of people assumed Mm -hmm. it would have the heart that it does. And it's such a fun watch. You have such a great time just palling around and watching this Batman and Robin relationship blossom. So it's, it's so much fun. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It again, like you've got just, I mean, relationally speaking, you have a slightly higher than I do. So, yeah. Yeah. So, what is your number four? Number four is controversial. It's The Dark Knight. So, I put that, it at number four. That is also my number four. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I, I was worried. Okay. I was going to, I was worried. I'll let, I'll let you know <laughs> just a little, little aside, a peek <laughs> behind the curtain. I was worried putting it this far down, but I feel better. <laughs> That I'm not the only one. I think there are some people that would be like, um, you know, here's, it would be like, oh, it should be number one. It's the greatest thing ever. Or some people would be like, oh, well, you know, it's how could you put it down that far? It's the, or yeah, I don't know. I really like it. It, it, It's hard to really point out anything wrong with it. I just, I, there's just other ones that I I like better. You know, my preferred is what I like in movies, you know, just certain ones speak to me more. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely agree. I think as a as a crime drama, it's incredible. As a superhero film, as a Batman film, I think, you know, there are certain things that it could have been improved upon. I think it's a great film. It is absolutely one of the best superhero films of all time. Mm-hmm. But for me, what I look for in a Batman film, um, it it felt, you know, and this was speaking more towards, you know, Nolan's sensibilities of making this grounded and gritty and realistic. And I like a little, I like a little fantastic in my Batman film. Yes. So what yeah. is your yeah. number yeah, three? My number three is Batman Returns. Nice. So, like I said, I really enjoy it. I like how weird it is. Uh, it's 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 also sexually charged in a way that most superhero <laughs> yes. movies aren't anymore, <laughs> and that actually gives you a little something more to it. Not that every movie needs that, but it just kind of gives a little bit more texture and motivation, characterization to it. Um, I also really like the part near the end where. Batman rips off his his mask. You know, it's super easy. It's it's like it's like a fruit roll up. He can roll. He can rip it off, and then uh, Max Shrek, Christopher Walken, sees him and goes, "Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed up like Batman?" And <laughs> goes, "He is Batman, you idiot." It's pretty great. So, and again, there's ping. There's the Penguin, and then there's his penguins, and then there's the circus people. It's really weird. It's dark. It's strange. It doesn't understand Batman at all, but it has, <laughs> but it it knows, but it understands what it's saying. It's saying yes. something about these weirdos and these outsiders trying to find a place in society, finding each other, and and also not being able to 
be compatible with each other that I think is really interesting. Nice. My number three in that same vein is Batman 89. I think, <laughs> uh, of course, part of it does come from a, uh, a point of nostalgia for me. Yes. Um, but Batman 89, I think, is a great introduction to the character, even mm-hmm. if he makes certain choices that you wouldn't normally see with a Batman. Yeah. Uh, but I love the performances, even though they are kind of all over the place. I think it adds to the charm, um, yeah. even though Knox definitely feels like he walked in from a sitcom. <laughs> yeah, he does. I, he I love Jack Nicholson is the Joker. He's so good. He's mm-hmm. and he's so flamboyant in that way that we don't often see with Joker anymore with his yeah. gaudy costumes, mm-hmm. like the whole just the whole print sequence in general is just it's yeah. gold. It's pure comic book Joker gold. So yeah. yeah, it's it's a great introduction to the character and it's something that I think um, even though it probably is better, you know, seen in screenshots, <laughs> it's definitely a uh, a film that is worth watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering if we are number two and our number one are the same. It might be. So my I... num- yeah. No, go ahead. My number two is Batman Begins. Yes. And absolutely. Then... Okay, so let's talk about Batman Begins for a second. Um, it's just, you know, as much of a great introduction as Batman 89 is for this film, for Batman as a character, Batman Begins is a great origin story. And in this day and age where it feels like origin stories are kind of played out, mm-hmm. it's still, it still feels fresh. Like yeah, it absolutely. still feels like this is, uh, this is an epic. This is like you said earlier, and it kind of reminded me, you were talking about building a legend. Like mm-hmm. it kind of felt um, felt very uh, Metal Gear Solid in that way. Oh uh, yeah. Like uh, mm-hmm. Phantom Pain, it's like you know, bring the legend back to life, and it's like you're built like he's building up his story and becoming mm-hmm. like the thing that other people fear, and I love that. Yeah, and it really it really does work well just as a self contained story too, you know. For sure. And. In a lot of stories now, you get your origin. It's like, well, now we're and we're setting up for the whole franchise, and we're setting up for you know a decade of stuff and all these different like, you know, cinematic universe things. And this is like, from start to finish, it's just like it all works. And like the whole like setup for the Joker works well for a sequel, but mm-hmm. it also really works well for just like pushing this character off into his into his adventure. The, the, He's Batman, and here's the world, and he's off now. And if if that was it, and you could say, well, I technically maybe this came before you know Batman '89 and yeah. stuff like that, it's like it would totally work because it's it's whole everything just is totally wrapped together so well. Absolutely, and you can easily like take this as itself with that Joker Easter egg at the end and be like, all right, now and he goes and fights Clayface. Like it's yeah. it's a great standalone story that really opens up the door for possibilities in a way that most origin stories don't anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So for number one, let's, let's do this on three. Let's say this at the same time. Ready? One, two, three, the Batman, Batman. serials. <laughs> oh, oh no. I... Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I mean, I really should have rewatched them. I guess. Um, no, it's, it's mask of the phantasm, mask of the phantasm which is amazing. Yeah. 
it's the best Batman film ever made. It really is. The heart, the darkness, the sense of tragedy, the sense of loss, um, showing, really giving a platform for both Kevin Conroy as Batman and Mark Hamill as the Joker to really strut their stuff and really show off yeah. the best of what they can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really great. Um, again, what we've said, it's just like, Everything that you want from it is amazing. The performances are amazing. All the emotion is there in ways that isn't really present in other Batman movies. Um, and it works really well on its own or with the animated series. Um, it's just so good. Like, it's it's also unconventional as a Batman movie, for sure. Absolutely. Especially in the larger scope of all these other Batman movies. It's, it's pretty unconventional in where it's going and what it's trying to say in its story structure and its general like focus as, on the narrative, it mm-hmm. is very unconventional and it just, it works really, really well. It's, 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 it's the truest Batman uh, that they've put on screen. Right. Uh, it's just so good. Yeah. And just the, the uh, star crossed lover story with him and Andrea, like mm-hmm. the, birth of the Batman being both an origin story as well as, you know, possibly in the same way that Batman Begins does, you know, he sails off into the night like he is, you know, going off on his on his adventures. He's learned something and now he is stronger because of it. And he's a stronger Batman because of this film. Yes, absolutely. So um, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Of course. I want to give you a big thanks. Um, I've been a big fan of you and your content on YouTube for a long time. So I'm glad that we were able to kind of get together and, you know, talk shop on Batman. This was super fun. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'd love to do it again with another comic book character or any, any, any franchise. We want to do another Superman or Spider-Man or I don't know, X-Men or I don't know. (laughs) There's so yeah. many out there. They're always growing. This is super fun. And uh, a lot of them have fewer films than Batman, too. Absolutely, they do. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, if people want to follow your stuff, find you, socials and stuff, uh, where where would you like them to uh, interact with you and such? Sure. Well, I'm on YouTube, Matt Draper. Uh, that's that's it. It's just my name. And then... Uh, <laughs> On Twitter, it's uh, Matt Draper YT, uh, as in YouTube. And yeah, I post videos. I try to do every other week, usually, sometimes a little bit more frequently, depending on how short the videos are. And then on Twitter, I'll just, Twitter is either me sharing my video, talking about something I just watched or read, or making a really dumb joke. And honestly, I, I can't say enough good stuff about Matt's content. Like he, you single-handedly turned me on to The Midnight as a band. Uh, <laughs> they are now one of my favorite bands. I have gone through every single song that they've made. And oh, so good. It's, it's, it's all thanks to you. So this, this has been a long time coming. Well, um, they should, they should be thank, you shouldn't be thanking me. They should be thanking me. Oh, they absolutely for exposing should. people to that. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get a sponsorship by them any day uh, now, I'm assuming. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, so um, once again, big thank you. Hope to do it again soon. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to any any final thoughts on Batman in film. Batman uh, can the, the great thing about Batman is how flexible he is as a character. 
You can make mm-hmm. so many versions. I hope they keep being flexible with the character. Hope he's not so rigidly tied into certain takes now. Um, hopefully this new Matt Reeves film is like really different and hopefully kind of weird. That would be awesome. Um, and just feels fresh too. And so there's just, he's, there's a reason why the character has been so like relevant for so long and why there's been so many movies and it's great. There's so much you can do with him. And I hope that like they just keep pushing him in different directions because that's the exciting thing about the character. It's just, you can break him apart and mold him in different ways. And as long as you keep a certain core essence to the character, like it's, it's people are going to love the character. So that's what, that's, what's great about it. And you can see all the different movies and the highs and lows uh, and the, everything from, you know, mask of the phantasm to Batman v Superman. It's like, there's reasons why all these different films can fit him in. And it's, it's great. And what else can you say about it? Besides, Daredevil being a better character, but uh, no! that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and that is going to do it for this week's episode. Once again, want to give a big thank you to Matt Draper for uh, guesting on this podcast. He was awesome, and we will definitely uh, have him on again soon. Uh, would love to get your thoughts. What is your favorite Batman film? How would you rank the films? How would you rank the Batsuits? This whole thing kind of spawned out of the crazy hype going on with uh, Robert Pattinson's Batsuit being sort of revealed in the last week or two. So um, feel free to let me know all of your thoughts and uh, give us a follow on either of our social medias on Twitter or Instagram at GeeksplainedPod. That's at GeeksplainedPod. Also feel free to reach out to me uh, whether you'd like to talk about your favorite Batman films, whether you think my list is way off base, uh, you can send those also to geeksplained at gmail.com because I'm an old man I still read emails. And yeah, uh, also feel free to give us a rating and review, especially on iTunes. Definitely helps us out and gets us into the atmosphere of listeners just like you. And... Yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Of course, we are once again on the march to episode 100. Uh, It's in two weeks. Next week is our two-year anniversary. I'm really excited about next week's episode. Um, I have been giving you little teases about what episode 100 is going to be about. And I can give you this little nugget here that uh next week as well as our 100th episode our two-year anniversary and our 100th episode are kind of going to be a two-parter it's going to be a love letter to superman so i'm really excited about it next week we'll be we will be doing a full-on geek Splain spotlight for our two-year anniversary on doomsday clock i've been waiting to talk about this and i'm really excited so tune in next week for our two-year anniversary the geek Splain spotlight on the critically acclaimed and critically delayed Doomsday Clock. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geeksplain, this is Eric Zana. Thank you very much for listening. And we will see you next time.